Welcome to Between the Gutters, where we talk about the stories within the panels. I'm your co-host, Albert, and with us is our other co-host. I'm Drew. How's it going, everybody? Yo. So, on this week's episode, we thought it'd be time, now would be a good time, with the release of The Moon Knight coming out on Disney+, Plus, to take a journey down comics way and explore the character of Moon Knight. This is a character that... I'm not going to speak for you, Drew, but this is a character that I personally have a lot of affection for. You know, any opportunity to talk about Moon Knight is an opportunity that I'll take. The Moon Knight is someone that I've had so much straight-up love for that it sort of surprises me that it's taken this long for us to talk about him, you know? Mm-hmm. What about you? Is Moon Knight one of your all-time favorite superheroes? I believe so. He definitely cracks my top three, I believe. Whoa, whoa. Who who is in your top three, man? Uh I'd probably have to say Spider Man, Daredevil, and then Moon Knight himself. Whoa. Yeah. It's dominated by Marvel. Yeah, oh, uh okay. Maybe specifically I'd go with No, no. I think if we're taking into account Marvel and DC, I'd I'd still stick with that. Yeah. Impressive, man. You got a lot of love for Moon Knight. You love Moon Knight more than Namor. I do, I do. It's, uh, I think it's, well, okay, I'll go into my little spiel, but I do think that my enjoyment and appreciation for Moon Knight purely comes from a place where I just appreciate just how his design is, just his look, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, My first exposure to Moon Knight as a kid was that Marvel Series 1 trading card. And this is, you know, something that I've talked on quite a bit that these cards were my entryway into Marvel Comics and comics as a whole. Mm -hmm. But I remember as a kid, I would look at these cards and everyone knew Spider-Man and to a lesser degree, I knew Daredevil. Like I wasn't like super familiar with Daredevil, but I was aware of him and everybody knew the X-Men. Everybody knew the Hulk, Captain America. These these were pretty well-known characters and Moon Knight was just this super obscure character. I had never heard of Moon Knight at all. I would never seen a Moon Knight comic. But there was just something about his visuals that just struck me, you know? I like that he had this hood, this cloak. I like that he was just all in white. I thought that was, like, pretty unique compared to everybody else, you know? Yeah, super and different. Super different, exactly. And it was just, you know, something about it that really, really stuck with me. and. Maybe this is something a little simpler, but the fact that he had knight in his name, and you know, as a kid, I was just into the idea of knights. So, <laughs> like a knight in shining armor. Yeah, man. Yeah, I was, I was like, he's a servant of the moon, and he's a knight. That's dope. What more do I need? Even though in that Marvel card, he. It wasn't like he looked like a knight in shining armor. Or he didn't. He didn't. But it was just the idea that <laughs> he had it in his name. So as far as I was concerned, he was a knight. <laughs> nice. <laughs> man, that, that's pretty funny, man. You were probably, what, like eight or nine years old at that point? Something like that. that yeah. Uh, it's definitely an elementary school thing. I, I'm pretty sure that was not something that came uh, around middle school. Yeah. So when when was the first time you actually read a Moon Knight comic? Yeah. So like I said, I I didn't have any access to any Moon Knight comics. So all I had was the card, and I would like 
look at that card over and over and you know we we didn't really have access to comic book stores like they weren't nearly as uh abundant like and being a kid not being able to go anywhere like i just didn't know where to get them and it's not like i ever saw moon knight comics on a comic book stand but i will say that my first exposure to like moon knight as a character in in a comic was probably that round robin story from uh from spider-man so mm-hmm. it was one of those amazing big, spider-man yeah amazing spider-man it was one of those stories where spider-man ends up teaming up with a bunch of characters and one of those characters just happened to be the moon knight so that was something that even though he wasn't the star of the show just seeing him in there was something that excited me you know mm-hmm. i was mm-hmm. i was like just happy to see him in action yeah yeah man you know i've noticed you've been referring to him as the moon knight or the moon knight <laughs> now is, is that because you recently watched the batman and moon knight has long been considered an ersatz batman yeah uh <laughs> i yeah i mean that's 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 the funny thing about his uh i guess his backstory and, and i don't mean his origin which we should probably talk about a little bit but i think in terms of his creation in terms of the way that people have viewed him, they've always just looked at him as a knockoff Batman. You know, he mm-hmm. he's a dude who's rich and he fights using martial arts and like hand to hand combat. And he uses his wealth as uh, in order to help him create a bunch of gadgets that are moon themed so that mm-hmm. he can, you know, beat people up and like fly around in his moon copter and his yep. moon jet, and throw his moon ninja stars, and, you know, <laughs> call people on his moon phone. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, it's it's hard not to take a look at those two characters and be like, hey, Moon Knight's totally just ripping off Batman, you know? Even though he's got a pretty different visual style. Yeah. Uh, but there's... There's just a lot of parallels between the two. And yeah, in, in spite of that, I, yeah, he still cracks my top three of favorite superheroes, even more so than Batman. So it's fascinating to me. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, man. Uh, like, how about you? What was your exposure to Moon Knight like as a kid or as an adult or whatever? Your first exposure. Well, yeah, I, I learned about Moon Knight when I was a kid too. Uh, probably similar to you, I I most likely saw him in the Marvel cards from uh-huh. back in the day, early '90s. I, I can't remember exactly what year, but I was definitely still in elementary school uh-huh. during uh, Marvel series one, which is yeah yeah. I remember the Moon Knight card from that from that set. It's I just him swinging into action. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that it left a deep impression on me the way it did for you. I mean, it definitely was someone he ended up being a character. I certainly remembered, but I think what really left an impression on me was that round Robin story from amazing Spider-Man in the early nineties, just because again, it, it was the first time I saw him in action in a comic. I knew that there were moon Knight comics when we were growing up. There were, there was a moon Knight series uh, a solo series going on, but I never bought it. He just wasn't 
a draw for me in the same way. And I think he was also one, his comic was also probably one of those where you'd have to go to a comic book store to, to find it, you know? And at the time yeah. when I was a kid, I would get my comics from like Seven Eleven or uh, the grocery store or a local bookstore. Mm-hmm. So it, I don't think I noticed Moon Knight on the racks at the time, but seeing him in Spider-Man, I was like, okay, I guess I'm going to learn about Moon Knight now. Yeah. And it was, I mean, yeah, looking back, it, it wasn't a very good story, but surprisingly, it was really centered around Moon Knight. Yeah. Even more so than probably Spider-Man, because that that story, Round Robin, uh, just to give listeners a, a brief synopsis, I don't remember exactly which issues it was. I think it was around Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man number 350-something, probably. It was either like 340-something or 350-something. It was one of those bi-weekly stories where in the summer uh every year they would double ship it was like a mini event right kind of like a mini event like they would do six six straight issues bi-weekly and this was uh written by david michelinie drawn by mark bagley it was a story about this group this organization that had come out of old captain america comics called the secret empire they were basically uh, this, I don't know, just your basic hooded, mysterious masterminds who formed a council together to try and dominate society and dominate the world through through that. Um, and for whatever reason, it like this, describing the story now, it it really just makes it sound even dumber than it actually is. And, and trust <laughs> me, it's, it's pretty dumb. Yeah. But I guess their plan involved taking Moon Knight's former teenage sidekick, turning him into a cyborg, and then manipulating him so that uh, he would distract the heroes while they perfected their own cyborg technology and used it on themselves to become strong enough to conquer the world or something. Yeah. Really, really bizarre idea. Just (laughs) childish, you know? It's just a childish story. Yeah. But it it was totally fine because I was a child when I read it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's a story about Moon Knight trying to deal with what happened to his former sidekick cuz his like like Batman, he had a teenage sidekick, but I guess with Moon Knight something happened between him and his sidekick where I guess his sidekick got left out in the cold or just left for dead or something and the Secret Empire guys found him and they repaired his body and turned him into this angry cyborg who wanted revenge on moon knight for for leaving him yeah yeah that's that's the sum of it <laughs> yeah but it, like like you as a kid i ate that stuff up you know <laughs> yeah you know a, a couple of weeks ago on our instagram feed i actually posted a couple of images from that story because there was there was a sequence that always has stuck out with me over these past what 30 years or so Uh uh-huh and it's it's not exactly something to do with moon knight but it was just something so ridiculous that even as a kid it took me completely (laughs) out of the story yeah but there's a sequence where okay so for a little little bit more context spider-man teams up with moon knight night thrasher nova uh the punisher was there anyone else in that story? Uh, who'd you say? Night Thrasher, Nova, Punisher. 
Moon Knight. Moon Knight. Uh... Well, whatever. It's not important. Yeah. The, the, the thing that happens is that after a battle, the Punisher gets knocked out. And the heroes make their escape. And they're licking their wounds on the moon copter. And Moon Knight uh, and Spider-Man and Night Thrasher are hanging around uh, the Punisher's unconscious body. And while the Punisher is unconscious, we go into this flashback scene where the Punisher is having a dream while he's unconscious. <laughs> but even though he's unconscious, he's able to narrate his dream so that <laughs> we, the reader, and Spider-Man and his friends can all hear. So you have this scene of the Punisher uh, saying, it was, it was a beautiful day in the park. We were having a picnic. My family, we saw the murder. Then we all got gunned down. Now it's up to me to take out the scum. Only I can do it. <laughs> and you just see like a montage of, of the Punisher's origin story. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's like so ridiculous. And then right after he says all that, you have a panel where Moon Knight and Spider-Man are looking at each other and they're just like, oh, so that's why he does what he does. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, now that you've described it and I'm thinking about it, it does feel like something out of like a bad 80s movie too. Like I, I feel like that's, you know, a trope from old TV uh, where exactly where like they have to find a way to insert someone's backstory. It's just all this case... unnecessary exposition exactly. that comes out of nowhere in the most unnatural way exactly. possible. Exactly. It, it definitely feels like something of that era, you know? Yeah. That era of like just shoddy storytelling <laughs> yeah totally <laughs> yeah it was it was pretty bad storytelling yeah as a kid i thought it was bizarre but as an adult it's just awful <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> should we the go other funny thing oh, i have with uh the other funny memory i have with moon knight is the very first solo moon knight comic i ever owned Ooh. so I have a I have it in a reprint uh right now. I I don't have the like actual issue anymore cuz my parents gave that away uh-huh. uh at some point when I was growing up along with the rest of my comic book collection. But uh it was Moon Knight issue number 19. So this was from the very first run of Moon Knight from the early 80s. So even though this comic came out probably like a year or two before I was born, I remember finding it in one of those Toys R Us packs where they would you you would pay like I don't know five bucks and you'd get four or five random comics and yeah. you you wouldn't know what's exactly in them they would just be a surprise yeah and that's how I ended up with this Moon Knight comic it's Moon Knight number nineteen the cover is a pretty memorable cover uh, this was when Bill Sienkiewicz was drawing it. It's a picture of Moon Knight looking all haggard and beaten up, his costumes torn up, and he's there's a word balloon where he's saying, "Okay, Arsenal, let's start round two. And Arsenal is this, you know, the bad guy that he's fighting. He's this African warlord who's got this specialized body armor and weaponry, and the the imagery is basically a schematic of all the weapons that he has in his costume. So you're the idea is. It's almost like a trading card, you know, or like uh, official handbook of the Marvel Universe, like one of those drawings right, right behind right. Moon Knight on the cover. 
So as a kid, I, I lapped it up because I loved things that were that would tell me, you know, this is where his grenades are. His helmet has a high intensity headlamp. He's got concealed weapons in his wrist gauntlets, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like all the stuff that you just that wanted was, all the details, all the, yeah, all exactly. the juicy details about like what just what this guy had going for him, just so you can imagine just all of that stuff in action, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I was about that too, man. Yeah. Totally. But the the story inside, dude, that I think that was not really meant for an eight year old kid, because I was I'm pretty sure I was like seven or eight, and I, I I didn't really get the inappropriate things in it when I was a kid. But looking at it now, I'm just thinking, oh yeah, this is a probably not a great comic for a kid because this story is about uh, Moon Knight infiltrating. Um, this African warlord's uh, army because he's trying, you know, or I guess he doesn't really infiltrate, but he's trying to like put this guy down and he has Marlene, his uh, love interest and uh, partner basically try to infiltrate for him because what this warlord has is he has three female bodyguards <laughs> and one of them, one of them is white. One of them is black. One of them is Asian because yeah. You know, that's just how he does things. <laughs> and he, they're not he only likes his body. Neapolitan guards. ice cream. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. Neapolitan. <laughs> what? Some people like chocolate, some people like vanilla, and some people just want to have it all, baby. Yeah. Yeah. This dude <laughs> wanted to have it all, man. He wanted to have it all. And these these women were not only his bodyguards, but they were also only dressed in bikinis and they were also his lovers <laughs> they were there to satiate him <laughs> exactly they were there exactly. to defend him and then to satisfy his carnal needs exactly that's exactly <laughs> what was going on here but but as a kid i i didn't really understand what carnal needs were <laughs> and like there's this whole s- sequence where marlene proves herself good enough to be one of the bodyguards by beating up the other white lady. (laughs) (laughs) You two look like you're about evenly matched. Go for it. (laughs) Exactly. So he, she beats her up and then becomes his new bodyguard. And now she's walking around in a bikini along with the, she becomes this guy's white lady. (laughs) (laughs) She, she becomes his white bodyguard. (laughs) It's so wrong. Oh, wow. (laughs) Okay, okay. Okay, and then then after she becomes his white bodyguard, the very night, uh, that same night, she has a special initiation right to do with him. (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. That is salacious. You really, you, you seriously get this scene where this guy is in his bedroom with Marlene, and she's just wearing her bikini and maybe like some see-through robes uh-huh. and they're having some wine and he's, he straight up picks her up like a little doll and uh, basically forces his, his lips on hers. So they start making out and she just has to go along because she's undercover. Wow. <laughs> but, but there's this scene where uh, Moon Knight is, he's uh you know, it's nighttime. So he's outside spying on what's going on. And you just see him get super pissed, and he has his fist clenched. And at the time, I was like, I don't get it. 
Why is he so mad? Why he mad? Yeah. <laughs> oh man. But yeah, that for for whatever reason, man, that that was my first uh Moon Knight comic and <laughs> rereading it when I got older, I was like, "Oh, okay. I see what's going on here now." <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Do you want to go over like uh the origin of Moon Knight a little bit, just the background uh for for, you know, our listeners so they know like who he is and what he's about? Sure, we can do that. I guess the appropriate place to start would, would be who created him. And he was created by Doug Monch and Don Perlin in 1975. His first appearance was actually in a Marvel comic book series called Werewolf by Night, specifically Werewolf by Night number 32. Um, not, I'm not a super big fan of Werewolf by Night. I, th- I think... I've only read appearances of Werewolf by Night in other comics other than the first appearances of Moon Knight because I've read those in some reprints. But uh, I guess on some level, it you can kind of see the logic in in the creation of the character because werewolves need a full moon, right? So if they're fighting a uh, Moon Knight, I guess there's some kind of thematic uh, <laughs> resonance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but I want to say in that first series, Moon Knight was actually kind of an antagonist to the Werewolf by Night, right? Yeah. Like he wasn't really the hero that we that we know uh, him yeah, to he was be fighting the werewolf. in his current form. He, I think, from what I remember, his mission was actually to capture the werewolf. Mm-hmm. So. He was actively a bad dude. Um, yeah, yeah. But unless unless you just naturally hate all werewolves no matter what, then he was a good guy all the time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, you, you know, like you, werewolves is an idea that isn't. It's it's not one of my favorite ideas, but yeah, sure. Yeah, it's, it's still better than vampires. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Marginally marginally anyway uh, i was gonna say as a kid i did love werewolves though but okay anyways go go ahead yeah (laughs) (laughs) so i was just gonna say a little bit about doug monch he's a pretty well-known writer especially from that time period he was very active throughout the 70s and 80s but he was also active still in the 90s so when i was growing up reading comics he was one of the writers on the batman comics and that's where i first discovered uh his name like even as a kid i, w- I would look at the credits because I, I was such a voracious reader i would read every single thing in the comic including all the indicia the legal text the advertisements like every single thing you know i would read it all Dang. so i would read the credits and these names that would keep reoccurring every single issue you know, they would stand out to me. So Doug Munch was one of those uh, Batman writers that I recognized. I don't think I, I really liked his comics that much as a kid. But I will say that as I got older and when I went back, maybe like five or six years ago, they DC did a couple hardcover collections of his Batman run from the 90s with Kelly Jones on art. 
I did enjoy those. Like, I, I don't think that they're like the greatest thing ever or anything or that you need to own them, but I borrowed them from the library. And these were the issues that came out uh, in the later 90s. So not, not exactly the ones I read when I was really little. But as an adult, I thought they were pretty enjoyable comics for the most part. Nothing spectacular, but also nothing that makes you go, oh, yeah, that's why the 90s sucked, you know? Yeah, yeah. But oh. in terms of, of his credits, he's he's had a pretty good amount of credits. Like, he's all, he's written a bunch of stuff that, that people would have heard of uh, in addition to Batman. You know, he's he's written, I guess one of the things that he's most known for would probably be the Shang-Chi comics. He wrote. He had a really long run on Master of Kung Fu back in the the 80s. That's not necessarily a run I particularly enjoy. I think we talked a little bit about it when we were doing our Shang Chi autopsy. But you know, I I acknowledge what he did and uh, recognize that he wrote a lot of Shang Chi in Master of Kung Fu throughout the 70s and 80s. He's mm-hmm. also written things like I guess he's written some JLA comics, some Catwoman comics. I feel like I remember him on Superman. I could be wrong about that. Uh, he he's also got a good amount of uh, Marvel stuff. Like if you look at his his Marvel credits, he, there's just a uh, a bunch of things that he's he's done. Even things that probably not a whole lot of things that that really jump out. He's had a pretty good career, especially in the 70s and 80s. Don Perlin is another guy who whose name I recognize from that time period. I mean, even even in the 80s, I think he was already fairly up there in terms of age. I, I just looked him up on Wikipedia, and he's still alive now, according to Wikipedia, he, but he's like 92. The things that he I would recognize his name from would be Defenders Comics and Ghost Rider. But did you also know, Albert, that Don Perlin, he not only co-created Moon Knight, but he also co-created Bloodshot. Yeah, so I wasn't aware of that at all. I mean, that's uh, it's pretty interesting to think that he created Moon Knight, who's all white, and Bloodshot, who's also got a similar look. There's something kind of <laughs> funny about that. <laughs> He's yeah, Bloodshot's pretty white too. <laughs> uh, apparently, this guy just likes writing albinos. <laughs> uh, that's yeah, uh, yeah. I, I I don't know if those are two characters that I would automatically associate with one another. Um, you Funny know, there is, is, is that Jeff Lemire has written both of them, right? That's true. He did. Uh, so that's kind of a cool little coincidence. Yeah. If they ever have this question show up at trivia night, we'll be ready, man. Which character did Don <laughs> Perlin co-create that Jeff Lemire ended up writing? I feel like for- that's a question that, we should put into um, a trivia night that we set up. You know, really screw somebody over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unless they listen to our podcast. Right, right. Then they'll have all the answers. Right. So that's a little bit about Moon Knight's creation. I, as far as uh, what the mentality was behind Doug Munch and and Don Perlin co-creating him, like what they, like why they decided to do it. I I didn't dive super deep into into that or look look up any interviews with them or anything. But uh, hey, Albert, why don't you tell us about Moon Knight's fictional biography? Okay. 
I'll uh, I'll try to get into it. If I miss anything, you know, uh, feel free to jump in and uh, uh, make additions and corrections. Uh, but Mark, uh, but okay, let's go. So the Moon Knight is actually the Mark, Moon Knight. <laughs> the Moon Knight is actually Mark Spector. He's uh, you know, kind of a playboy type, uh, a rich guy. But the thing about him is he's actually a mercenary. Uh, you know, kind of a he's a jet-setting mercenary. He's a soldier for hire. He goes around the world and he he basically does unspeakable unspeakable things to people for money you know it's not very heroic but one day he goes along with uh a crew of people to to egypt where he's supposed to support a archaeologist uh i forget the 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 father's name but uh the archaeologist dr alround i think that's how you pronounce marlene's last name alround I think. Okay. It's it's not a common name. I've never seen it anywhere else outside of this comic. There are some pretty interesting characters in the mythos of Moon Knight uh, that have some pretty bizarre names, but sure. <laughs> yeah. Like I'll say eccentric. So so Doctor Allround is the archaeologist who's who's studying this uh, this Egyptian tomb, and with him is his daughter Marlene. And we have Mark Spector and, you know, some other various mercenaries. And amongst them being, uh, I don't remember his real name, but I just refer to him as Bushman. I think Um, that is his actual name. Oh. What's the name of that strong guy? (laughs) In X Factor? (laughs) In X Factor? The strong guy in X Factor? Dude, what is his name? (laughs) Now that you mention it. What's the name of that city where all the gorillas are from in the DC universe? <laughs> like Gorilla Grad. He's from the city with all these gorillas, but I can't remember the name of the city. Right, right, right. <laughs> Man, just there's just a bunch of questions here that would be perfectly fitting for a trivia night. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, uh, so uh so Mark Spector is there with uh this team of mercenaries to support this archaeologist but you know them being mercenaries they're bad dudes and eventually I believe they want to loot this gravesite and uh what ends up happening is Bushman ends up killing Marlene's dad and Mark Spector tries to stop this from happening because you might say he has a change of heart but really, he's got, like, a mad hard-on for Marlene. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so you know, he he tries to do the right thing, and he ends up getting killed. Um, and, you know, things go wrong. But what ends up happening uh, on his deathbed is uh, this, this tomb that they discover actually is the tomb of... Or is, I guess it's an altar to uh, Khonshu... I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, uh, but Khonshu... you pronounce it, unless it's pronounced Khonshu. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna touch this because <laughs> this could go down a very bad road that could get me in trouble, and I'd prefer not to. Uh, so I'm just gonna, I'm gonna stick to my ignorance on this one and just call him Khonshu. Okay, okay. I'm, so <laughs> I, I bet that's how it's actually pronounced. I guess. 
I guess when we watch the TV show, we'll learn how they pronounce it. Man, it'll be like really interesting if they just pronounce it in a way that I was not expecting at all. Kehan Shu. Yeah. <laughs> Quinoa. He's the, fist, he's the fist of Kehan Shu. <laughs> so Kan Kan Shu, man, now you've just got that stuck in my head. <laughs> <laughs> so Kan Shu is this. This altar is uh, belongs to the Egyptian god Khonshu, who is the Egyptian god of vengeance, I believe, or the Egyptian god of the moon. But I think it's also the Egyptian god of vengeance. Am I wrong? I believe you are correct. I don't know okay. if if that's what Khonshu is is regarded as in real life. I don't even know if he's a real thing, to be quite honest. There is an Egyptian god named Khonsu. Okay. It's spelled a little differently. It's it's spelled K-H-O-N-S-U. Uh-huh. Uh, but it's also, I guess, the way that Marvel spells it, it's it's another just uh, transliteration of the same name. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, I, this is just stuff that I'm looking up on Wikipedia. But he is the ancient Egyptian god of the moon. And his name okay. means traveler. So that that's actually a theme that recurs in, in Moon Knight comics. The idea of Moon Knight being this uh, hero who protects people who travel at night. Yeah. Um, yeah. And all the comics that I've reread in preparation for this podcast, that is something that I've seen maybe not super often, but it, it's... It's something that did jump out at me as a point of interest, you know? Yeah. yeah. So Khonshu is the god of the moon. I, I don't know if the real mythology of Khonshu has anything to do with... Vengeance. Vengeance. Yeah. 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 So, you know, as Mark Spector lays dying in, the, at, in this temple, this altar of Khonshu, he essentially makes a deal with this deity for the power to revive, you know, the power to strike back at these people at Bushman for, you know, murdering him and murdering Marlene's father. And is thus Bushman or Bushman. Uh, be usk man. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, it isn't, so and thus you know Moon Knight is born, uh, and he he goes through a lot of different iterations upon returning from uh, Egypt and uh, taking on this persona, and he you know he in, in the years that follow we see a lot of different uh, takes on him as a concept. He there's a point where. He, yeah, originally, like like we said, he started out as just this kind of clone of Batman. And then in years to come, uh, they would kind of mess with him a little bit and turn him into like some sort of demon fighter or, or like mythical creature, magical creature fighter or something like that. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, like. I think he fought, like, spirits or, like, magical beings or something like that. Eventually, we would see him go back to his roots as being a street-level vigilante with with an added new 
detail, which was now he was just straight up crazy. You know, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. The, he he's a character that Marvel has been tinkering around a lot with over the years. You know, I I don't I wouldn't say he's like the only character. Certainly, there are a lot of Marvel characters that are, for the most part, still the same version of them. Well, maybe not quite the same version of themselves from the early days. Like Spider-Man, I, I think there's a core to what he is, but they try to stick to that, right? Whereas mm. with Moon Knight, it just feels like they've they've tried a bunch of different things, and and yeah, uh, and I will say that. The most recent version of the Moon Knight is, at least for me, it, he's probably the the version that stuck. Um, like I mentioned, he was a character that I grew up with, and even though I, I didn't have a lot of Moon Knight comics, uh, I forget what year Charlie Houston's run came out, but that was the first time I was able to buy like a Moon Knight comic, and I totally went in on that. And mm-hmm. I think that's the version of the Moon Knight that stuck with me ever since. Yeah, I think that was 2006. It was right around the time of Civil War. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, now tell me, Drew. Yeah. In terms of Moon Knight as a character, so we we've already talked about the fact that Disney Plus is making a show on this character. Was that something that you were expecting, like in terms of? you know, the slate of characters to come out of Marvel, like, did you think Moon Knight, like, it, was it a surprise to you that they were making this, or is this something that was long past due, in your opinion? <laughs> I don't think I could say with a straight face that it was long past due. Okay. On okay. some level, I think I was a little bit surprised, but now that we've seen the full extent of Marvel's success, I don't even know if it's the full extent if we're there yet, but I think just the fact that we're at that point where Marvel or Disney rather has been strip mining the farthest reaches of the Marvel universe for material. Yeah. yeah. It, it really just felt like it's, it was only a matter of time before Moon Knight got a chance to shine. Yeah. Yeah. Like I because certainly for- don't think he's the bottom <laughs> of the barrel or anything in terms of, who they have in their in their library or in their stable, whatever. Yeah, exactly. I but, mean, Netflix. The Netflix shows gave us an Iron Fist TV show, so it it definitely oh. feels like Moon Knight's worth more than that. Yeah, I was gonna say. Do you, yeah, like when you put it that way, I think I would have expected a Moon Knight show before Iron Fist. I guess. Yeah, I'm pretty Ab- sure I would have. Absolutely. But then again. I don't think I I think Luke Cage was something that I was that I would expect to come before Moon Knight for sure. So yeah. Eh. Maybe maybe it's cuz uh Iron Fist and Luke Cage are just so in- inextricably tied to one another. <laughs> yeah, they're best friends, so it's understandable yeah. you'd want to yeah. do both. Um in terms of Moon Knight as a character, what are what are some core elements to Moon Knight that you feel like need to be there if they're going to put him on screen for Disney Plus? Like what what do you what do you think the Disney Plus version of Moon Knight 
has to have in order for it to be a, an accurate representation of the Moon Knight that we know. I guess I'm not necessarily expecting an accurate representation of the Moon uh-huh. Knight that we know. I think I'm expecting a sanitized version of it, just because that's been the pattern, right? Like all all the different characters that that uh, in the comics would be associated with something a little bit more hardcore. Whenever we see the Disney version, it's always a little bit uh, watered down. You know, it's it's a little bit safer, a little bit the, the characters themselves are a little bit more likable, a little bit friendlier. Yeah, it's just you know to be able to appeal to a wider uh, amount of people, especially I think uh, you know kids. Yeah. So I I, I doubt we're gonna see an African warlord who has a Neapolitan ice cream. You know. <laughs> Oh man, kids are missing out. <laughs> they really are, man. They don't know what they could be getting, dude. <laughs> but that said, I do think that there are still ideas and themes and elements of the fundamental portions of the Moon Knight character that we. Sh- I hope that we would see uh, on th- on the show, and the main. The main one would certainly be the concept of vengeance. Vengeance as something that motivates Moon Knight and also vengeance as an idea and a theme that gets explored through the story because that is something I think is central to any good and decent Moon Knight run. It's always about his exploration of vengeance and uh, by association violence and how how that affects Moon Knight, how it affects the people in his life, how it affects the people that merely even just cross paths with him. Because this dude ideally should be portrayed as this whirling dervish of violence who drags down anybody that he encounters. And, yeah, uh, you know, anyone who crosses his path is gonna be in for a rough time even if you're a friend just by associating with him you're in for some pain you know that that's kind of the thing it's like trying to be friends with tasmanian devil or something you know you'll have some good times he'll protect you from some stuff but he's still spinning around in this vortex and you're gonna get sucked in eventually and it's gonna hurt yeah it's um I don't know. Well, I guess it's a little cliche to say this, but I, I do feel like a lot of stories try to teach that lesson of how vengeance is satisfying. But at the end of the day, you know, it's not something that we should Id- idolize because, you know, there's something inherently destructive about vengeance, right? Mm-hmm. Um, an eye for an eye leaves the world blind. And stuff like that. So I do think that that's the kind of story that or those are the kinds of ideas that Moon Knight should explore. Um it's interesting. You you asked me a couple of weeks ago when we watched The Batman. <laughs> uh one of one of the themes that kept popping up in the trailers was or one of the things that we kept seeing over and over again was Batman uh, saying, I am vengeance. And 
once we actually sat down and watched the movie, like that idea of him as vengeance ended up popping up quite a bit, you know? Mm-hmm. And and you ended up asking me whether I thought that vengeance was something was an was a concept that was true to the idea or the true is to it the fundamental core. to the core of the character. Uh, yeah, to the character. Yeah, exactly to the character of Batman. And I had to say, I had to say no because I don't think Batman is vengeful, but I mm-hmm. but I do think he's someone that seeks justice and. Mm-hmm. And the big difference is someone who is vengeful, someone who seeks vengeance would, if they truly sought vengeance, it would include having the capacity to murder another person, to harm them to that, to that level, you know, to end their lives. It's, mm-hmm. it's not something that is necessarily moral. It's, it's something that comes from, from hate and and wrath and anger you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um so i don't that to me that isn't what batman is so when we look at um the moon knight as an avatar of the spirit of vengeance like that 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 tells me that he's going to do things that batman doesn't he's not doing this for a sense of what is just like he's doing this for something substantially more primal than that, you know? Yeah. And and ultimately if you ask me, does Batman kill? I would have to say no. But if you ask me, does Moon Knight kill? I would say most definitely that guy has murdered people. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He's definitely murdered people before he became Moon Knight when he was a mercenary. But I think even after he became Moon Knight, he still killed people. Yeah. And it's not to say that he's some bloodthirsty guy who gets his rocks off just murdering purse snatchers or jaywalkers or anything like that. But when push comes to shove, he he will kill somebody if that's what it yeah. takes to to stop that person from doing something evil. I do or even think, if it's just to punish that guy for having done something evil. Yeah. I do think that depending on who writes him, he does kind of go back and forth between, again, being mm-hmm. this either psychopath or sociopath that doesn't really have too many qualms with murdering people. Well, yeah. no, I wouldn't say that. Like, he he, maybe, he doesn't take joy or pleasure in it. Not yeah. usually, at least. Yeah. Sometimes and, he just does it because it's necessary. Yeah. And I, I'd probably say he's more open to it than most other superheroes. I think most other superheroes have a pretty hard line about killing. Yeah. And he... Yeah, it's like you said, he'll do it if it's necessary, you know? Yeah, exactly. He's he's not the kind of character that I think, logically speaking, it, it's hard to understand something like that Round Robin comic that we were talking about earlier from uh-huh. The Amazing Spider-Man. Because it, if you think about what Moon Knight is, what he does, how he does it, what he represents, it's kind of hard to believe that somebody as nice as spider-man would be willing to work with him yeah 
Yeah. Because they would just be fundamentally opposed in terms of how to solve their problems and, and deal with their enemies. Right. Well, I mean, in that story, they worked with the Punisher and... Yeah, that doesn't make sense either. It doesn't make any sense at all because the Punisher is just about straight up killing criminals and he's not yeah. going to hold back for these guys. It's it's always dumb when they do stuff where the Punisher teams up with the likes of Spider-Man and the New Warriors and then all of a sudden he's like, don't worry guys, on this one, I'll just stick to rubber bullets. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was this scene that I remember in in towards the end of the comic where they're fighting these three guys in armor, right? And what ends up happening is one of them gets hit with basically like a freeze ray or something. And the dude's just kind of frozen there in his suit and he can't move. And the Punisher is walking up to him and he's got a knife. And this guy's like, oh no, like I might have this suit of armor, but this the Punisher can just walk up to me and stab me in my eye slits and I'm done for. (laughs) (laughs) But the thing is, the Punisher just walks up to him and he's got this knife and this grin on his face. And then the next thing you see, he just flips the knife up so that he's holding it by the, the blade end. And he uses the butt of the knife to like hit the armor. And because it was hit with a freeze ray, the armor just shatters around this dude. <laughs> and there's just this naked, like skinny guy there. And the Punisher just kind of grins at him and then knocks him out. <laughs> that that doesn't feel like the Punisher. <laughs> that just feels weird. <laughs> the real Punisher would have stabbed him in the face. <laughs> oh man, yeah, that was a uh, that was a '90s comic that felt like an '80s comic. Yeah. Well, I I also wanted to add this other thought. It it reminds me of the '90s version of the Ghost Rider too, where and and this is another example where the Ghost Rider, he's also called the Spirit of Vengeance, right? Mm-hmm. But for whatever reason, well, okay. Well, I'm Moon Knight's sure. not necessarily the Spirit of Vengeance, is he? He just he's the Avatar of Conchu or the Fist of Conchu. That's what they call him. Right, right. Well, there's there's got to be some element of vengeance to him, though. I, like I I feel like that's a big. It is. I'm just saying it's I don't think it's in his uh, title. Title. Okay. okay, okay. Yeah. Okay. I got you. I got you. Well, okay. So the Ghost Rider is the actual spirit of vengeance. And that was like what the title was called in the 90s comic. Mm -hmm. But this was another example of like, I guess, editorial dictates where they didn't want him. Like, so the Ghost Rider is already a pretty scary looking dude. He's got a flaming skull for a head. So. Mm He already had all that going for the for him. He's called the Spirit of Vengeance, but for for I'm sure because they just wanted to play it safe, they didn't want him going around murdering people. So his whole thing was he had a thing called the Penance Stare, where he would look, he would grab mm-hmm. criminals, stare at them in their eyes, use his stare, and the stare would basically make them feel remorse mm-hmm. like they would feel it deep down in their soul and they they would repent and that was his form of getting to them you know would and, they repent i thought they would just like curl into a into the fetal position and and like feel the same pain that their victims felt oh uh, okay well i mean i guess 
I thought it would just be. So, I thought it was something that was meant to completely incapacitate them. Uh, maybe it's my interpretation of it, but yeah, I thought it was my personal reading of it was that it was. You're right. It it did incapacitate them, but it was also something that was. I don't know how else to put it, but it was something that was there to make them feel empathy essentially right they would Mm -hmm. feel the pain of the that of the people that they had wronged and then they would course correct themselves or whatever you know they would repent Mm -hmm. okay um but at least that's how i read it regardless as a kid i was fine with it but as an adult when i like used my adult brain to reconsider what it was that i was reading i was like there's something about this that just feels incomplete it doesn't feel like you know if he's truly the spirit of vengeance and the worst that he does is just kind of you know make you feel bad for Mm -hmm. for like you know doing the wrong things that you've done like like i don't know if that's quite the vengeance that i was thinking of right yeah yeah like I, I think a more accurate portrayal of it would be something like the Spectre in in the DC universe by John Ostrander, where mm-hmm. he just finds, where he as a being just finds like really messed up poetic justice ways of like torturing the damned, you know? Yeah, that, yeah. He, that feels he, like an accurate portrayal of vengeance. Yeah, exactly. A, all the bad people that the specter punishes and takes vengeance upon, they have it probably at least They'll as die bad. A thousand deaths. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so I do think that vengeance is a big part of who Moon Knight is and what he's about. Whether he's out there meeting out vengeance. Uh, as 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 a form of punishment or if it's a question of what his relationship to vengeance is as a person who is being corrupted by by it you know um Mm -hmm. because the idea is that maybe for for moon knight this is normal uh because he is the avatar of Kanshu, but for your average person, for for a normal person, this is the idea of like surrounding yourself with vengeance as you know a a guiding principle is just it's destructive, it's corrupting to the soul, you know? Yeah. And I guess the difference with Moon Knight is that he worships Kanshu, at least yeah. depending on which era of Moon Knight you're reading and who the writer is, but the idea yeah. is that he's devoted to this god of vengeance, the god of the moon, the Egyptian god of the moon. Yeah. Which is also kind of an ironic detail because Moon Knight, Mark Spector, is canonically Jewish. Uh-huh. Like his father was a rabbi, and that that's in the comics. But, uh, you know, I I, I guess... I don't know. There's there's also something strange to me about this Jewish American guy 
becoming uh, a guy who who worships an Egyptian god, just because you know Egyptians enslaved Jews back in the Old Testament days. So there, uh-huh. yeah, there's there's always something uh, strange about that. I don't remember who came up with the idea of Moon Knight being Jewish, but uh, yeah, I mean that that's something that's referenced in the comics pretty often. Yeah, yeah, it's it's weird to think of because I, I I suppose that they could have built it into his backstory and then just never brought it up again. But it's weird that they keep bringing it up because it just makes you wonder what the purpose of it is, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously he doesn't really practice Judaism. Uh, ever since he became Moon Knight, but uh, he still remembers. Like you'll, I I've read stories where he he'll still think about the lessons that his his dad taught him. You know, his father, the rabbi, taught him. Uh-huh, so th- uh-huh. there's there's clearly things that he learned from growing up in that kind of environment and and learning that religion that uh you know still impacts him as an adult. When the by the time he's operating as Moon Knight, I don't know. It's it's just one of those character details that is kind of unusual because usually it feels like most of these Marvel superheroes nobody ever really gets into like what religion they are or, or anything like that. But with the character like Moon Knight, religion is pretty much part of his whole reason you know like he wouldn't be moon knight if he didn't follow this egyptian god yeah yeah so it feels like yeah you can't really ignore that element but the the fact that they layered on this jewish backstory to his personal history i'm kind of curious as to how that came about I, i don't really remember when that started creeping up into the stories yeah it's interesting to think on uh when you were talking about how his relationship with Kanshu is like just the way that it's portrayed in the series. It, it's, it's evolved over the years where, um, yeah, he's, he's basically a dude who is worshiping at the, at the altar of Kanshu. You know, he's, he is Kanshu's avatar on the, on, on earth, you know? So mm-hmm. maybe he's, agnostic in some ways but at the same time because these are the garbs the ceremonial garbs that he wears this is the being that he represents when he goes out into the world and he fights for all intents and purposes he is a follower of this being you know like i you know like i don't know if he's worshiping in the sense that he prays to it on on a regular basis or anything but he commits services in the name of Kanshu, you know? Mm-hmm. And and no, I have, the... we have seen comics where he prays to Kanshu, literally prays to him. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Um but I was going to say it's it's interesting how in the the later run where one of the runs was uh Charlie Houston, the way that he portrays this relationship between the two is that Mark Spector has this begrudging relationship with Kanshu, you know, in the sense that he's seen what his life is like with the absence of Kanshu. And even though 
he he sort of despises all the things that being Moon Knight has made him do. Mm-hmm. He can't give it up either, you know. Yeah. And, and Kanshu even bas- even tells him that I will give you my blessings, but in return, I want you as my avatar to go out into the world and let them know, let them know my name, you know, because mm-hmm. I gain my power from, you know, the world knowing who I am from the, for, for not being a, a forgotten God, essentially. And so, so the Moon Knight makes it his mission to go out. And the way that Khonshu, what Khonshu expects is for Moon Knight to go out and just butcher people and leave his markings so that people will know that Moon, uh, that uh, Khonshu is this, this thing that exists. Yeah. But, so Moon Knight's going around beating up criminals and carving crescent moons on their foreheads. Yeah. His his compromises. I won't kill for you. You know. I won't like murder I'll all these scar people. people. Uh, exactly. I'll just scar people with your symbol so that people will be aware of you. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty twisted. It's pretty twisted. Uh, I guess that brings us back to what we were saying earlier about the fundamental elements of Moon Knight, because obviously the Egyptian motif and Khonshu himself, they're fundamental to the core of moon knight you couldn't tell a moon knight story without those elements but i do think that how different comic book writers over the years have approached it has been quite fascinating because it seems that over the years one of the big elements of moon knight especially in the past i don't know 15 16 years or so it seems like one of the big elements of Moon Knight's shtick is that he has these he's he's potentially psychotic basically yeah like he's there there's a chance that he he's genuinely the avatar of Khonshu the Egyptian god of the moon and of vengeance or uh-huh. he could just be a crazy guy who puts a bag on his head and does stuff in the name of an imaginary being he hears voices of a god that's not there <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Like, I think that element um, of, I guess, I don't know what else to call it other than the craziness of it all. It's it's just another thing that separates him a little bit more from Batman, right? Like, when we think about yeah. vengeance as this element that that uh, sets Moon Knight apart from Batman... That that makes sense, right? Because Batman is not really he's not really motivated by vengeance. He's not trying to avenge the death of his parents. He's out there trying to protect people from ever experiencing what he experienced when he was a boy. Yeah. That's yeah. that's what he's out there doing. But Moon Knight like on some level, I think you could say that he's doing what he's doing as this, some twisted means to atone for all the murders that he did when he was a mercenary yeah but you gotta kill people you gotta kill more people to save more people (laughs) exactly exactly (laughs) Uh, that's a hell of a logic (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's it's uh cape comic logic man that's how it works in superhero comics but uh the other thing is that he's he's doing it 
he's doing the things that he's doing because because of Kanchu. Yeah. And because he is the fist of Kanchu, he he's motivated to take vengeance on people. Like that's his that's why he does what he does in such a violent manner. It's yeah. It's not because I mean, certainly there's an element of wanting to protect the innocent and help people, but I think ultimately it is to take vengeance and to to take retribution into his own hands, you know? Yeah. Like yeah. It, it's it's one of those things that we can I guess people can explore or debate ad nauseum whether superheroes should kill or not. It's it's just you know, one of those things where yeah, you could say uh whether you could say that thinking about it too hard doesn't make too much sense. So it's better just to kind of ignore those kind of moral questions. But uh, on another level, I, I do think that's part of what the entertainment with these characters is. It's to to have those kind of uh, imaginary philosophical debates about yeah. their morals. I was going to talk about something that you mentioned earlier, like go back to the idea of Batman as comparison to Moon Knight. You know, because, again, it's just something that we can't... It's a comparison we can't escape because the two, again, just feel like they have so much in common and Moon Knight is so often uh, referenced or or seen as a a Batman clone, right? Mm -hmm. But I, I feel like there are a lot of Batman stories where the lesson of it all is that what Batman does oh, oh the lesson is that the 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 supporting characters in his life the you know the robins and the nightwings and uh the the batgirls and the oracles and whoever right they they all end up being there to save him on multiple levels you know it's not just that they save him when you know his life is in danger, but they save his sanity, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's, and, and I think that's one of the huge core differences between the two of them is that again, like Moon Knight as a being who, as an, as a person who is just focused on vengeance, he is not concerned with saving his He's not concerned with the relationships in his live life as the thing that's going to save his soul, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't do what he does for the people in his life. He doesn't do it... Uh, yeah, he, he, he doesn't do it to save them. He doesn't do it to make the world a better place for them. Not really, anyways. But he... That's just a side effect. <laughs> exactly, exactly, right? So, but for Batman... Again, the characters that exist as his sidekicks, they're they're a second family to him. They're they're the family that he made, you know, mm-hmm. to to make up for the family that he lost. And often as is often the case, they end up being the thing that stops him from going over the edge. They're the thing that stops him from killing a lot of the times, you know. They they stop him from becoming a monster and mm-hmm. Moon Knight is not concerned with that at all. (laughs) 
yeah, like I like we're gonna go over the comics a little bit, but there's this one scene at the very end of the Warren Ellis comic, uh, of the Warren Ellis run. I, I'm gonna paraphrase it because I don't really remember it too well. I, you know what? Actually, I have it right here. It's a pretty chilling scene. It's just after Moon Knight has beaten up this Black Spectre, and he goes the new Black uh, Spectre, the new Black Spectre. He's given this little rant, and like the whole monologue that he gives him is is pretty fascinating. But it ends with this: he goes, "Let me tell you a thing about me. People who love me suffer and die. I never want to be loved. That's why I always win. And that's just how it ends." <laughs> yep. You know. Yep. He just walks off. I do think that that's a core tenet of the Moon Knight uh, of Moon Knight as well. Is just that. Whereas Batman has this family around him and these people that he cares for, Moon Knight might care for his people, but at the end of the day, like I, I don't think he, I don't think at the, at the end of the day, the the works that he does will will be the things that hurt all of the people in his life. And if he had any sense, he would know not to not to be involved with them, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and the thing that's funny is time and time again, uh we, we see it in this series in, in in the multiple uh depending on who's writing it, but time and time again we do see him uh we do see him break down eventually and he finds a way to go back and, you know, reinsert himself into the lives of these people that are his friends but again what else what ultimately ends up happening is he can't not be who he is and they just end up being hurt because of it you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah uh, so it, yeah it, it maybe it's a thing where people inherently understood what batman was about and they just decided to lean into what made moon knight different but i i do think it's pretty fascinating uh, like just as a character study it, it's it's really interesting uh character dynamics at work in play you know yeah yeah it's interesting to have a character that can't honestly function with other characters and other characters that do get involved with him end up getting destroyed by him. Yeah. Whether it's because of how they're trying to help him or if it's just because they're inadvertently part of the fallout or collateral damage of his life. It's yeah, it's not good to, to be his friend. It kind of reminds me of, uh, there's this anime called Neon Genesis Evangelion, and one of the themes Evangelion event. Okay, <laughs> and one of the things, or one of the themes that they discuss towards the latter end, a uh, latter part of the series, uh, is Shinji Shinji Ikari is this is is the main character, and he talks about how he can't stand life, you know, because. He can't stand the idea of other people because he just doesn't want to be hurt, you know? And 
allowing himself to be vulnerable just means he's allowing him he's opening himself up to be hurt and he talks about the hedgehog's dilemma which is uh which is that hedgehogs have all these little spiny needles all, all over their bodies and although they want to be loved and they want to be close with other hedgehogs or other beings the closer they get to each other the more they harm each other you know and that's mm-hmm. totally moon knight <laughs> he's got the hedgehog's dilemma I think so. Interesting. I, I, this might yeah. be the first podcast that's ever made the connection between Shinji Ikari and Mark Spector. I'll take that. I'd be glad to to make uh to be to have that record. <laughs> 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 I mean, I feel like there's a lot there between the two and and I'd have to really sit down and go through uh Moon Knight and evangelion and really try to uh flush out the idea more but i i do think there's something to it mm-hmm. that's an yeah that's an interesting thought i hadn't thought about it from that perspective before yeah one um, more thing about moon knight's core fundamental elements that i wanted to ask you about albert is how in recent you know how in recent years they've done this thing where moon knight has dissociative uh identity, identity. disorder yeah yeah basically that I, th- I guess people used to call it multiple personality syndrome or something uh-huh. but uh do you think that is an integral element of the moon knight character like should he have these multiple personalities so the funny thing about it is when they first created or in the earlier years of the Moon Knight series, he was a guy who had different personas. You know, he he had Mark Spector, and then there was Stephen Grant, and then there was Jake Lockley, right? Mm-hmm. And these were different, like, personalities that he would take on. They were more like disguises, right? They would allow yeah, him to, yeah. to do different things uh, for whatever his needs were. Yeah, like and, if you look at the old comics from the 80s, Stephen Grant was the the billionaire, right? Like he was like the the playboy kind of uh, uh, persona, and then Jake Lockley was the taxi driver, taxi cab like the driver, street yeah. smart, street exactly. smart, tough guy. Exactly. Yeah. And I I don't what was Mark Spector then? If he was he just baseline normal (laughs) i don't know if he was normal but he was i guess he was like the adventurer or the former mercenary right 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 but that's that's really as far as they took it like they they just made it seem like those were different characters that he could embody in order to get to achieve certain tasks yeah it's like when batman dresses up as most as matches malone Exactly, exactly. But in the later years, they explored that further, or or rather they did a a twist on that idea where instead of these being characters that uh, Mark Spector was playing, that they were actually extensions of other personalities that existed within him, within him you know? Yeah. And... and on top of that, even the idea that the Moon Knight himself was just another personality within 
this series of personalities that existed, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I do think that's pretty... I, I thought, even though that might not have been something that was quite as explicitly stated or presented in the early years of Moon Knight comics, and even though it's something that they did uh, in 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 modern memory, uh, in, in more modern, uh, in the more modern version of Moon Knight, mm-hmm. I I do think that's my preferred version of Moon Knight now. Like I, having these uh, different personalities or different identities. Yeah, I mean it's it's portrayed differently because uh, with all of the different writers that do it, but I do think it's it makes him more interesting. You know, just being just being this guy with such a fractured psyche. Yeah, it's definitely you know? another element that sets him apart from Batman. Yeah. I so I think up until the point of the Charlie Houston run, like people were still looking at him as just just constantly in the context of his comparison to Batman. You know, like it it he it didn't really feel like he had his own uh real estate as a character you know you know what i mean like yeah it, it was always in this comparison to other more famous street level superheroes um and and by doing this it just really maybe maybe it was a thing where they they just wanted to find something like a different angle on him that would make him different enough mm-hmm. from someone like Batman. But I do think it worked, you know, like sure. whether, whether it was, uh, by design or by accident, it's, it's, it, it gave him a different, uh, I guess, Maybe not quite gimmick. Well, I I don't really have any other way, word for it, but you know, like mm-hmm. it it is kind of a gimmick though, you know. So Batman is the the you know the tough multi billion dollar uh, genius that can do everything perfect, mm-hmm. but is he crazy? No. <laughs> so Mark Spector is gonna be the crazy one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. Do you uh do you wanna go into some of the comics that yeah that we've read in preparation for this episode? Because I, I think it's fair to say that even though uh Boot Knight might not be quite as popular as some of the other uh street level superheroes he he's had a pretty decent run of writers over the over the past couple of years. Uh mm-hmm. you know, there's there's quite a lot within his uh uh I guess his, his library, history. his history, but uh there's quite a few hidden gems in there. Uh that's certainly worth mentioning. Uh just things that probably flew under the radar for a lot of a lot of people you know yeah yeah let's dive into the comics let's start from i guess chronological order makes sense yep 
so the first ongoing series, the first solo ongoing series that Moon Knight had for himself was it was just called Moon Knight and it was it was published uh beginning in 1980 lasted uh I think almost 40 issues thereabouts uh primarily uh it was written by Doug Munch and the penciler was his Doug Munch's penciler was primarily uh Bill Sinkevich so it was one of Sinkevich's earlier works uh being you know 1980 I really do enjoy this run I think it's something that is rooted in the 80s in terms of the style uh-huh especially when you consider uh how how wordy things could be in that era and the way that you would have you would often have characters kind of uh vocalizing in word balloons things that i guess don't necessarily need to be vocalized or necessarily even exposited to the reader but you know it's it was just kind of how comics were written back then for the most part you know with yeah. with a few exceptions and Doug Munch kind of falls in that mode however i do think that as the run progressed and as Sinkevich continued to evolve as an artist it really helped Munch's writing as well Bill Sinkevich ended up becoming the guy that we think of when we think of Bill Sinkevich throughout that uh-huh. run uh-huh. uh cuz if you look at some of Sinkevich's early stuff in that run like the early issues when other people are inking him it's it's good you know it's solid stuff it's certainly clear it's got a strong sense of anatomy uh occasionally it's pretty dynamic very reminiscent of the stuff that Neil Adams drew uh you know in prior prior years for Batman and other comics as well but i think by the time you get to around issue 22 that's when sinkevich begins to ink himself he really takes a leap it's it's like when a young basketball player you know when he gets drafted and he's a rookie he, he's he's exciting to watch you know like you see some promise and then there's always that period like usually in the second or third year of his career when he makes the leap and just becomes a superstar you know i it's think like we, his we, breakout era yeah like i think we're seeing that right now with with John Morant on the Grizzlies and and i, I think with uh comic book artists sometimes you see that too like when the early work comes out you're like oh yeah this is cool like it's it's not bad at all maybe you see uh like it's derivative of some other stuff he's got but potential it's, it's, but it's got potential exactly and then at some point their their personal style just clicks and then you pick up a comic from them and you're just completely blown away by what's on the page that that's what i see in in uh Bill Sinkevich's run on Moon Knight like that like artistically it's it's just significant to me because you get to see him evolve over time you know like over these like 30 something issues that he draws you get to see him change from being this pretty decent guy that's reminiscent of Neil Adams style you get to see him become the Billson Kevich <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah like for people who can't really picture it like 
when you talk about his artwork looking like Neil Adams, it's it's like saying that he drew in a he drew the best version of conventional art that you would think of when it comes to comic book art. So, you know, the realistic style. Exactly. It was very realistic. People looked like people and it was the best version of that. Right. There's nothing wrong with it. It's, it's still very good looking. Right. But, um, it's not something that placed too much emphasis on style or, I I don't want to say creativity because it, that it wasn't idiosyncratic at that point. Yeah, yeah, right. Like, like once he started inking himself, it became his signature style. Where exactly now you can't even imagine somebody else inking Sienkiewicz because he's his own ink work is so distinct. In fact, when you see Sienkiewicz ink another penciler, that art just ends up looking like his art. Yeah, yeah, like his his art in the modern era is just terrific. You know, it's just, you just name it. It's just, he's just killing it constantly. So, uh, the thing that I think of is like his Electra with him and, uh, Frank Miller, Mm -hmm. like just such gorgeous artwork, you know? Yeah. And really groundbreaking stuff. Yeah. It's, it's almost abstract in, in some places. Mm -hmm. Um, the one thing that I can think of as a point of reference is for for those of you that saw Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, uh, the way that they drew the Kingpin in there, that was taken from a a, a, a Bill Sinkovitz, uh, uh, it, it's sort of based on his style mm-hmm. on just how he drew the Kingpin, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's not necessarily realistic, but you certainly get a sense of the scale and size of this larger than life figure exactly and uh, more recently uh he did do some poster work for the batman so you know he's he's a guy who i think it's fair to say the dude's just a creative titan in, in yeah in comics and beyond you know yeah um he's i been don't think for a long time yeah yeah and still doing great work yeah I, like i don't think your average person really knows him, but you know, in the comic circles, that guy's just tops. That guy's yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. people who read comics know him. That's for sure. Yeah. People Unless, who don't read comics might yeah. not recognize him. Well, I don't know if like the T Mac crowd really knows him, but what what they don't know doesn't really surprise me. <laughs> <laughs> there was that one guy that you told me about that one comic shop where. That's he talked right. about how T Mac was the great master, one of the great masters, and how Bill Sinkowitz was just scribbles on paper. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. That guy. I should, I should go visit that store again. I don't know if it's still in business. It was in, well, I don't really care if I say the name of the city. <laughs> it was in Antioch. Yeah. In California, and I I don't know if that store is still there. Uh, this was probably like four years ago or something. But uh, yeah, the dude was a character. That was a dungeon. <laughs> that that store was a dungeon. Uh, but the other thing I wanted to say about uh, Sinkevich's art is that that transition when he starts to ink himself, it's it's pretty crazy when you when you think about it because the art he did 
when others were inking him. Like we said, it, it looks solid. It, it looks good. But then all of a sudden, you get to issue 22, and he's inking himself. And all, and then at that point, you're looking at a comic from the future. You know? it. it yeah. It almost is hard to believe that that existed in the early 1980s. Yeah. It, it's, it's still something that looks fresh today. Uh, the way that, that I read this era of Moon Knight, by the way, was through Marvel's Essentials collections. Uh-huh. I don't think they publish them anymore, but, uh, you know, like, I guess it was a line they did starting around 20 years ago and continued for a while where uh, they would reprint a fat chunk of issues, like maybe like 20 something issues in one cheap paperback, but it would all be in black and white. And honestly, yeah. his comics look really good in black and white. Yeah. Yeah. Like the, I picked up a couple of this is awesome. Yeah, I picked up a couple of his Moon Knights from Quarter Bins, so I, I've seen how it looks in color, and it they look fine, but I really don't mind the black and white at all. Like, I, I enjoy the black and white. It's, it it's just makes so me, moody. It kind of makes me wish that the omnibuses that they made were done in black and white, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, the essentials are nice. They're, they're, well, they're not nice. They're, they're fine, you know, just to have. But the paper quality isn't the best on them, and like I don't really feel like they are built to last, you know. Yeah, well, you're a pretty rough lover, so I can I understand. Am. I am. Yeah. <laughs> you're. That's why you're a hardcovers only kind of guy. Exactly. I need someone, something that'll take the pounding. about comics <laughs> yes comics i wanted to also mention doug munch's writing in in these issues we mentioned that moon knight was invented or created in 1975 but his solo series began in 1980 so in that interim time he it was his appearances were mostly restricted to guest appearances and uh, other comics with, like Werewolf by Night. Uh, the other notable thing was uh, he had a long stint in Hulk magazine, which is one of the magazine-sized publications that Marvel used to do. And and that was actually where uh, Bill Sienkiewicz started drawing Moon Knight in the first place. He also showed up, the character also showed up in, I think, some issues of Spider-Man or Spectacular Spider-Man. Certainly, though, this run uh, in the solo series, volume one of Moon Knight in 1980, that was the one I think really defined the character, finally gave him a place where he could stand on his own, have stories that were completely focused on him and really introduce you into his world, the themes and ideas that would continue to resonate and recur throughout every incarnation of Moon Knight, or at least every halfway decent incarnation of Moon Knight. So, the stories in issues 22 through 26 in particular, I, I would want to highlight those because I know it, it could be a tough sell to be like, yeah, read read 40 issues of this 80s comic. You'll love it. 
because chances are you probably won't love all of it. Yeah, yeah. But if if you're down to try older comics, I would highly recommend checking out issues 22 through 26. And these are the stories that I'll briefly uh, try and sell to you guys who are listening. But issues 22 and 23 form this two-parter. It's the first part is called the dream demon and the second part is called perchance to scream. And it's basically a story about moon Knight investigating something that Marlene's uh, brother has been involved in where he's like done experiments on, on somebody who can, who can uh, infect your nightmares and harm you through, through that and control you in, in a, when you're in dream state like the, the the plot is just kind of whatever to me like i don't i don't find that like a super interesting or feasible premise but i i think the other stuff that happens in that story is pretty good and that's the idea of moon knight being this this character that kind of just invites pain upon the people around him like that that story ends on this heavy note, I, mean, I, I guess I'll just spoil it because I don't, I don't think it's a story that depends on knowing a twist or anything. But basically at the end, Marlene's brother has to die. And just the way that it's executed by Monch and Sinkovich, it's just so well done. Like the, the prose is well written. I think Monch does that thing that Claremont always wanted to do where he, you know, you just get kind of get caught up in your own words and write a lot of purple prose. And I, I think that's always been one of Claremont's downfalls. It makes his work age fairly poorly if you're just reading it for the first time without any uh, real expectations or, or context of the time period. But when you look at Munch's stuff, at least in in these issues, I felt like he had a he he was able to convey a great sense of hum like human emotion and it didn't feel pretentious or anything or overwrought. It was just the right amount of description and the right amount of drama, I would say. Uh-huh. And 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 the and the final page, the final two pages of issue twenty three are pretty haunting because it's it's just this 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 uh field in the snow and then you get a splash page of marlene crying and and that's how it ends and i always thought that was a pretty heavy way to end a story even even rereading it uh recently i was impressed by how how well it was executed like you really get the sense that the only reason that this ended up happening was because Marlene ended up hanging out with Mark Spector. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> yeah. Like man, that's rough. Yeah. Yeah, that that's that's how it felt. Then issue 24 was a story called Scarlet in Moonlight which introduced a character named Scarlet Fascinera, I believe is her last name, and she's Without getting too deep into her backstory, like that whole issue, again, it's very full of symbolism. It, the the imagery 
goes with the words in a thematic sense. So I felt like you really get to see Monch and Sinkevich truly in sync because the artwork is reflecting all the understated things within the the text, within the, the prose. And it's a story that's a meditation on violence, a meditation on uh, gun violence in particular. And it also deals with themes of consequences and inherited consequences. Really well done story about violence and retribution. So it's totally in line with those core concepts that we mentioned in regards to what we need in a Moon Knight story. And uh, it's also got a pretty, again, a pretty heavy ending. I, I guess that's probably a recurring theme in these in these comics, in at least in the Moon Knight comics that we tend to enjoy. There's there's no real happy endings, you know, like the way it ends is is pretty rough for all parties and nobody really gets to come out on on top. Mm-hmm. Then issue twenty five is this anniversary issue. It's it's extra sized and it's called Black Spectre. And it introduces a new foe for Moon Knight, who's essentially, ostensibly, the reverse version of Moon Knight. You know, you know how we always talk about one of the tropes in superhero comics is having the hero fight the negative the version of himself. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the opposite yeah. version of himself. Like Spider-Man has Venom, Wolverine has yeah. Sabretooth, so on and so forth. Yeah. So they gave Moon Knight a guy named Black Spectre because. You know, Moon Knight <laughs> wears all white. <laughs> so, but this is another guy that has this twisted origin where he he's like he was a a normal guy who like I think he was a veteran and he uh you know basically came back from the war and ended up being neglected by society. His his woman left him. His son was killed, and you know everything in his life is just has just gone downhill and he ends up deciding that what he needs to do is in order to make the world a better place, he needs to be in charge. So he's going to become mayor of New York. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah, it, it sounds kind of harebrained and may, maybe it is a k- kind of hokey premise. But he he uses his his civilian identity to run for mayor, and he uses this black specter identity to basically intimidate uh, his his rivals into conceding and you know doing doing underhanded things to to make sure that he rigs the vote in his favor. And Moon Knight figures out his plot, and they get into a, a big fight, and Black Specter just messes Moon Knight up, and I. On top of it, on top of all this, while all this is happening, like in Moon Knight's private life, Marlene is still dealing with the fallout of the death of her brother. And I think she's starting to realize that being around Mark Spector, even though they're lovers, it's it's really just destroying her life. Mm-hmm. And there's this other other twist where she's actually working for Black Spector in his civilian identity. She doesn't know he's Black Spector. But she's working for him as his secretary to help him in his campaign. 
and then when like mark tells her what's going on like she's she's she doesn't believe him she or she's at the very least i'd say she's skeptical of him and it just gets to the point where everything is going wrong for moon knight and then there's this awesome page where after black specter beats him up in a fight moon knight goes home and he's just crawling all hurt and stuff crawling in front of the statue of Kanchu in his home and he says he's beaten me physically psychologically emotionally he's beaten me every way i can be beaten <laughs> and it's it's like a pretty funny thing to see him say i guess yeah. but but the way that it's drawn it's just drawn with all this seriousness and gravitas and yeah. there's a, this panel where he's he's on not just on his knees he's like straight up on his belly and his hands are just reaching up at the statue touching Kanchu's knees and he's just begging Kanchu and he says but if you'll just give me enough strength to make it through the night Kanchu I'm not going to let him win I'm going to find him and I'm going to nail his perfect smile to the wall <laughs> <laughs> like he's literally begging Kanchu for strength you know <laughs> like it's it's quite amazing it's quite amazing and uh, I, w- I won't spoil the ending of that one but black specter ends up being a pretty notable character in, in moon knight's history i think even for a guy that just showed up in in one issue in the original run mm. uh he he had an impact in in the moon knight mythos i'd say yeah well i mean without giving away too much it says something how about how in the later issues people would bring him back Mm -hmm. you know uh again and again and yeah i didn't even realize that he was just in one issue in the original run yeah so hearing that that's uh yeah that that that's just pretty stark you know it just makes you realize just what it it makes me question what it was about this one character that that left such an impact on on the mythology of moon knight like like you said you know i think part of it probably was the visuals the way uh-huh. that sinkevich drew him just looked fantastic he was sort of this gladiator looking dude but uh all black you know um and i think the fact that he was able to hold his own against Moon Knight from a physical standpoint, as well as, as Moon Knight admitted, Black Spectre <laughs> beat him up psychologically and emotionally, too. So, Every way that he could be beat. Yeah, exactly. So, like, someone that much of a threat, he can't be forgotten into the night like that, you know? Like, you just can't, you can't forget about him after he does that to Moon Knight. That's that's an accomplishment that not a lot of other characters have been able to claim. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Plus I think it's inter- he's an interesting character in the sense that his his backstory was I guess you could I guess there's two ways to look at it. You could say it's tragic or you could say it was a sob story and he just wasn't willing to handle or respond in an appropriate way which 
you know, it's it's fair, but this is also superhero comics. So part of the whole point is for people to react in these extreme ways. So a guy that came back from Vietnam and then found out that the world moved on without him, didn't care that he served his country, uh, his wife left him, his son killed him, and the police didn't even care to like really investigate the crime or anything like that. He couldn't get a job. You know, everything was going against him because uh and 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 he didn't feel like any of it was his own fault you know yeah so he felt that he had to take matters into his own hands because he was just at the end of his rope man the of way course, you're describing it, it mm-hmm. that really it feels like something that just popped out of a newspaper just you know just the other day <laughs> yeah, yeah i mean you i'm know? i'm sure that was a thing man because uh you know just Knowing what we know now about how soldiers were treated after Vietnam, it's it's not super far-fetched. Yeah. Then uh, the, the issue after that, issue 26, I really like this one too. This one is this one is one of those issues where Monch and Sinkevich did like the lead story, and there was a backup story just to fill up some pages because I don't think. They were able to, I'm not really sure why, I don't know the, the, the backstory behind it, but uh, the main story that they did is called Hit It, and this is one of the most experimental superhero comics you're going to find in Marvel 1980s comics. So Hit It is a story that's written, it's, it's written in an interesting style because it's almost like prose poetry. I could easily imagine this being sp- being read or performed aloud at a spoken word night, you know, mm-hmm. it's just one of those, it's got a rhythm to it. There's a lot of flowery, flowery language and the imagery that accompanies that language is very impressionistic. Even though it does tell a story, it's also very moody. It sets a tone that accompanies the words that you see on the page, but the story itself is Again, another meditation and examination on violence, the consequences of violence, the desire of vengeance, and also deals with Moon Knight's uh, internal conflicts because this, the story itself, like the, the plot of it is about this guy who's a grown man now, but he, when he was growing up, he was abused by his father, physically abused, and this night uh, he learns that his father has died recently and it, it just sets off all of these awful emotions within him where he starts getting into fights at the bar because he's just enraged that his dad is dead. And he, I guess he had all these unresolved issues with his dad that he, uh, he's still so angry at his father. So he, yeah. he ends up going to the, to the church where his dad's, I guess the funeral or the wake was, and he just it's just a coffin and a priest left in the room and yeah. he just gets so angry and starts hollering at his father about all the things that his dad did to him when he was young the priest tells him to calm down and he just knocks the dude out <laughs> <laughs> and then moon knight shows up on the scene and moon knight really doesn't want to hit this guy he doesn't want to engage in violence to stop this dude from his ranting and raving 
So it, it's the way it ends is the priest wakes up from getting hit and he he starts yelling at Moon Knight to, to hit the other guy. <laughs> and Moon Knight's like, no, I'm not going to hit him. There's been enough hitting tonight. I'm, I'm not going to add to the violence. And then while he's talking to the priest to try to calm the priest down, the the dude punches Moon Knight in the back of the head. <laughs> and then they, like he has no choice but to defend himself. And at the at the end of it, he ends up knocking the dude out with his fist. But the way that it ends with the dude knocked out, the priest watching Moon Knight walk away, Moon Knight is just he's he's upset that he had to give in to violence, that he had to resort to violence for this, and he. He just like punches a wall on his way out and he's mm, he's mm. mad and uh it's it's a story that I think is worth reading yourself like if you, if you have Marvel Unlimited or whatever try to look up this issue because I think the prose of it the writing Doug Munch's writing is it's it's really well done man and it's it's moody atmospheric it it really feels like they were trying to do something different than your typical superhero adventure of the month you know like it yeah. i really think that this is as experimental as superhero comics can can get at least yeah. at least in the 80s in for marvel comics yeah i mean when you take bill sequence's art and compare it to some of the other stuff that was coming out at the time it like i i don't really know how else to put it but it it looks like art you know, like uh, not not to say that, you know, other people that are doing comics aren't that what they were doing wasn't art, you know, but it, I you're, you're I calling like, it art with a capital A. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like you're right it, that it feels like that's the only way to describe it. Like it almost feels like you could take any of Bill Sikowitz's, uh pieces and you could put it uh, put any like panel on its own and just put it in a gallery somewhere and put it up on a wall and just kind of marvel at it you know Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um it's it's something that transcends uh i don't don't really know how to put it but it's something that feels like it transcends uh even comics to some degree you know Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because again this is it it's just kind of shocking to think that you could go to a comic book and see something like this style of art, you know, it, I don't know. I was going to ask you earlier, like, do you, would you consider his work, uh, I guess in the vein of like postmodernism? I'm not sure. I don't know enough about postmodern visual art okay. to, to say. Okay. What well, made you think of that? I mean, I think just because the way that he draws it, uh, just again, just from my understanding of postmodernism, I wanted to say that there's a, a postmodern bent to it. But again, like you, I'm not super versed in uh, art history, so it's I, I'm not quite so confident that I can pin it down uh in that uh style but but that's why i had to run it by you you know i just 
is, is postmodern art the kind of stuff where people just fling paint at the canvas? Uh, I think it can be, but I don't think I don't think it's entirely limited to that. Yeah, I don't know. That's why. Uh, that's why I had to run it by you just to see what your thoughts on it were. But, anyways, it's interesting um, to hear you talk about hit it like that, because it's been a while since I've read the old Moon Knights, and uh, I do remember at the time reading the old uh, Doug Munch stuff, and if I had to be perfectly honest, at the time, it was something that might have been over my head. Um, uh, I think you mentioned that the older stuff, it did have a lot of verbiage, a lot of words. Uh, so maybe my eyes did glaze over it a little bit, but the art style, uh, Bill Sinkowitz's art was definitely the thing that drew my attention to it when I was reading it, even then, um, it's the kind of book where I could marvel at the pages, you know, just flip through it and just really eat it with my eyes, you know, just really appreciate it. Right. But, you know, listening to you talk about it, it does pique my curiosity and make me wonder if maybe I should give it a reread, you know? I think it's worth rereading. Yeah. At the very least, reread the issues I just uh, recommended. Those yeah. those definitely hold up. Yeah, like I, I, I know. Mean, I know that for not only for you, but for a lot of people, like the patience that people have, the modern the patience that pe- that modern readers have for '80s wordy superhero comics is probably pretty low. But yeah, I think if you're willing to give these comics a chance, you'll find them to be pretty rewarding experiences because you don't want to get caught up in the style of the period. It's more about the emotions and the ideas that get communicated through the art. And and by art, I don't just mean like the drawings. I mean like the work itself, the entire comic, because the fact that these comics are still effective at communicating those ideas and hitting those notes and making you feel these different emotions and experience different things just by looking at the page and reading the words. I, I I think that just shows how well they've stood the test of time. Right. Right. Even, even if like bits of dialogue here and there aren't the way that people today, write, I still think that in terms of the story that's being told, those stories still hold up and, the emotions are are timeless right right it's um it's interesting how you described the the hit it issue because we talked about how vengeance is such a big part of it and again it just feels like even in that story the the idea that this character was so wrought with vengeance that it it went beyond 
the death of the parent that was the, the father that was abusing him right mm-hmm. so t- to the point where it just wrecked this guy and he just ended up taking it out on the world and it's yeah it's pretty fascinating for to to think about it in in that context where as a statement on vengeance it's just this idea that that there is almost no value in vengeance and how falling down that rabbit hole of of chasing that sense of satisfaction that you get from it or or indulging it just ends up being destructive to yourself because mm-hmm. you know this guy just gave into it wholeheartedly and even though the object of his vengeance was no longer there he just had nowhere to direct it anymore and ultimately the the people that ended up being hurt by it were the people that he should have mm-hmm. cared for was mm-hmm. and it was everybody else so yeah exactly so those are the kinds of moon knight stories that i would want to see those are the the kinds that the kind of stories that take into account uh what moon knight's being is in relation to vengeance and what all of our uh and, and like what the concept of vengeance is relative to all of us you know whether yeah. whether it's harmful or helpful yeah absolutely yeah. all all of these comics really show stories in which the concept of moonlight of moon knight lives up to his potential you know so it's just the fact that these comics bring that out in such a well executed and well crafted way it just makes you wish every moon knight comic was as good as those yeah yeah absolutely and there's definitely a lot more because you know we're we're just discussing the tip of the iceberg here because this is all the stuff from the early era of moon knight comics you know Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, eventually we we come to the 90s and i don't know i don't really remember well that's not true i I do remember that he had some uh, comics in the 90s. There was a period of time where I mentioned earlier where he becomes kind of a mystical, uh, you know, superhero, a mystical fighter sort of thing where he he has this Ankh as a weapon and he's beating up like demons or ghosts or something. Uh, There was a period of uh, some powers where his strength would would it, uh, be enhanced depending on the yeah. size of the moon or something. <laughs> yeah, it would. Whether the moon was waning or waxing would affect his personal strength. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, there was also that era of the '90s where he ended up having a Moon Knight armor. That's right. Everybody had Remember to get that? body armor. <laughs> yeah. So he he ended up having uh, really shiny armor and. Uh, yeah, those those I I can't say there that was a especially good period for him. Um, that was when the series was called Mark Specter Moon Knight. Yeah, I think. yeah, that's what it was called. That yeah. that series ran 
I'm looking it up on Wikipedia right now, and it, it ran from 89 to 94. So that was pretty much the sweet spot from when the sweet spot of when we were getting into comics yeah. pretty heavily. That was kind of our era's Moon Knight. <laughs> yeah. I didn't yeah. read a whole lot of those Moon Knights when I was a kid, but over the years, I guess like within the past 10 years or so, I've I've picked up my fair share of random Moon Knight comics from the 90s. A lot of oh. them are by Chuck Dixon. I there there were mostly things that I read once and then I think I just ended up either selling them or giving them away to people. I wouldn't say they were bad comics, at least the Chuck Dixon issues that I read. Uh-huh. He wrote a lot of action-oriented comics in the 90s. It's so, kind of what he's known for as a writer. Yeah, um, his action. Yeah, he's a dude who wrote Nightwing and Robin. I, I think he did some Batman. He wrote Punisher. Punisher, Birds of... Did he do Birds of Prey? Yeah, Birds of Prey. Yeah, yeah so he he's a dude who knows... He knows how to do a lot of action comics, you know? And, you know, they're pretty straightforward, just fun, entertaining stuff. You you read some stuff from this era as well uh, in preparation for the podcast episode, right? Yeah. The thing that stands out that I reread was issues 26 through 31, which is not by Chuck Dixon. It's actually a story arc by J.M. DeMatteis and drawn by Ron Garney and Tom Palmer. Those of you guys who listen to, to us know that we're both big fans of J.M. DeMatteis' writing. Like, yeah, and he's a guy who's been around since the 80s, and he's written a bunch of comics that we've enjoyed. This is a gem of his that I don't think has been collected, so it might be tough to come across them. I'd, I'm not sure if they're on Marvel Unlimited, but um, it's worth looking for them to to see if they're they are. And you know, with Comicsology the way it is now, who knows how you can find it there. Yeah. <laughs> this this so story, bad. yeah. This story is called Scarlet Redemption. Again, it runs in Mark Spector Moon Knight issues 26 through 31. It's a follow-up of sorts on one of the stories I mentioned earlier from the Munch Sinkevich run, the Scarlet and Moonlight story in issue 24. So this this JM DeMatteis written story uh, takes that character, Scarlet is her name, and basically does what JMDM does with a lot of his comics, which is write a story about redemption, uh, hu- human love, and just universe universalism. Like it's mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's interesting that he plays with uh, religion in in this story because as we mentioned earlier, Moon Knight is Jewish, and he worships an Egyptian god, and the character Scarlet is Catholic. And I, I do think there are some parts of this story that, that don't really work for me. There are some parts that are just a little bit hokey. Like, there's this whole thing where Scarlet ends up recruiting a cult of other women who who are just like her so that they can like cause trouble in town and like they're blowing up <laughs> buildings and things like that. <laughs> when you say they're just like her, do you mean other white women? <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
it's like, it's just funny, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's uh, it's it's a little bit hokey at times. I mean, in terms of the plot, but the thing that I think makes it worth reading is the ideas that it traffics in because it it deals with ideas of redemption and vengeance and what do you what do you get from devoting your life to revenge yeah yeah so it it explores ideas like that and like with a lot of other uh Mateus comics i think it ends in in a an uplifting or a hopeful optimistic place mhm mm-hmm. it's very it's very internal also like there's a lot of stuff that happens in the story where the action is just taking place in somebody's mind it's either it's either a vision or a dream sometimes it's a little bit ambiguous so the 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 plot isn't necessarily a great moon knight plot i think even the way that it's executed feels a little bit i don't know in a way it's a little bit off putting like I wouldn't recommend this for to somebody as their first Moon Knight comic, mm-hmm. unless that person was already a big J.M.D. Mateus fan. Mm-hmm. I think the story works better as it works better for a J.M.D. Mateus fan than it does for a moon, purely Moon Knight fan. Like as yeah. somebody who's read a bunch of J.M.D.M. comics, like this is totally in line with a lot of his other superhero work. It explores a lot of similar ideas but from a slightly altered perspective. So it's very interesting and worth reading from that perspective. The only thing, again, is is that if you were just a Moon Knight guy, like if you were a guy who just cared about characters and didn't really care about following creators on different works, this story might not be for you. Mm. But, uh, you know, I, I'd, I'd still, for for the more discerning reader who, who thinks more about the creator's who write the stuff that they enjoy. I would I would still recommend this especially uh, if if you've read other JMD Mateus works. Yeah. It's it's interesting to me to think of that JMDM again like you mentioned earlier is is a guy who's known who's known for writing a lot of his pet themes around the idea of things like forgiveness and the power of like universal love like you said right and Mm -hmm. um you know he he writes he tends to write a lot of stories where that i guess celebrate the 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 capacity for just good people to do to change the world through you know, acts of forgiveness and goodwill and love, right? Right. And it feels almost antithetical to a character like Moon Knight when you th- when you think about it at first, because you know, Moon Knight being a character that's so focused around the idea of vengeance, but I do think that those are two ideas that are so intertwined with one another that even in exploring the absence of one uh you 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 kind of find things to say about the other you know mhm and um yeah he, 
so so in a way it makes jmdm almost the ideal kind of person to write the moon knight it it always makes me think of this one uh ghostwriter comic uh it was written by devin grayson and i i, mm-hmm. I don't think the comic itself was anything too special but there was always one scene towards the end that it was a scene that i felt like had a lot of promise but they just never like explored it you know and Uh it was a scene where the ghost rider was basically the ghost rider had it is being chased down by this uh like assassin and this assassin is willing to harm all these innocent civilians in order to get at the ghost rider but the ghost rider he he gets to this point where of frustration where he he has no choice and he's going to act out and uh you know unleash his violence towards this assassin and mm-hmm. The scene is there's this just one old hippie guy talking to the ghostwriter and uh I thought it was really like interesting line where he goes he he's 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 just trying to tell the ghostwriter not to like lash out in violence against this this guy and he he just says to him that what is stronger than the spirit of vengeance why the spirit of forgiveness you know mm-hmm. and you know, it, it's supposed to be this moment of epiphany for Ghost Rider, and I, I thought, I thought it was going to be something that marked a change in the Ghost Rider, and that we'd see what it looks like if the spirit of vengeance evolved into into the spirit of forgiveness. Mm-hmm. I mean, we didn't really see that in the comic because ultimately, what ends up happening is the mob, uh, even though Ghost Rider himself doesn't like strike this guy down an angry mob like eliminates him you know so (laughs) so i i felt like it sort of missed the point but as a concept i was i was i was really drawn to it you know and and i i think that's something that can work for the moon knight as well you know it it doesn't always have to be about how does vengeance affect mark specter or how does vengeance affect moon knight but what is the absence of vengeance as mm-hmm. as an idea, right? Like what mm-hmm. what can what happens to Moon Knight when he decides to renounce it, or or yeah, just stories like that, like that ask those kinds of questions. That's that's what I feel works for Moon Knight, you know. And and I I do like like you said jam dm is is a writer that we've read a lot so we're pretty familiar with what his his uh pet themes are and yeah i i'm interested in checking out this run you know just to see what he has to say on the subject yeah you can borrow my issues man sweet sweet uh yeah so after that we we kind of have a dead period of time and uh for the moon knight he he kind of disappears for a, a long while you know yeah uh, that run in the 90s lasted quite a bit like i think that was actually uh his longest running series 
because it uh-huh. went for about 60 issues. And then after it got canceled um, for the rest of the 90s, I think we, we had a couple of four-issue miniseries. I don't really yeah. Yeah. know much about those and never, never picked those up. And it wasn't until uh, 2006 right. when Charlie Houston and David Finch tried to revitalize the character. Yeah. And this is a run that I mentioned earlier. It's it's it, it came at the right time for me where um where like I said Moon Knight as a character was someone that visually I was always drawn to, but I I just never had access to those comics. Uh even even that 90s run of his. So by the time I was, you know, in a place where I had my own money and I was able to go to comic book stores, there weren't really any Moon Knight comics coming out, you know? Mm -hmm. And when 2006 hit and they made this big push to put Moon Knight out in public eye, I was all about that. And uh, they got this crime fiction uh, writer uh, from outside of comics to work on it. I'd never Mm -hmm. heard of him, but, you know, the idea of doing a... uh, I guess a hard-boiled version of Moon Knight was something that did appeal to me. Um, I remember reading some of the synopses and looking at some of the images, and it, it was a version of the Moon Knight where, just starting off, you had this character who was who was a a D-list superhero just kind of at the bottom of his career, you know? Mm-hmm. And that fit with the fact that Moon Knight had just been out of the public's eye for for all these years, you know? Mm-hmm. So it felt like it was a fitting way to reintroduce him. Uh, it, 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 it felt pretty meta, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So... So when uh, Charlie Houston reintroduced the Moon Knight, he 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 started introducing all of these other elements to the Moon Knight that uh, we hadn't previously seen, and it was things like the dissociative uh, identity disorder that you mentioned, mm-hmm. and uh, you know really making him this substantially. Uh, grittier character which which worked for me um the the other I, thing i want to mention that he yeah brought in was Kanchu as a character because i think previously Kanchu was generally left as this quiet god but yeah. when houston was writing it he ended up personifying Kanchu as uh a literal character that Moon Knight only Moon Knight would see and he a would talk to him and head. have conversations. Yeah. 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 Yeah, you're right. Like I I hadn't thought about that, but you're you're absolutely right. And uh and, and it does just add more of a mix into this dynamic between them because again, uh there's this feeling that Mark Spector he he's a guy who's really in love with the perks of being Moon Knight, but he, it, I imagine he hates what he has to do 
in order to continue to receive those perks, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And and the thing that I find interesting about that is it's... You can take Khonshu as almost a stand-in for the concept of vengeance in, in that sense, right? Yeah. In that... What Mark Spector gets from that initial release when he acts out on his uh, vengeance on, on those impulses, it might be in the short term gratifying, but further down the road, it's it's corrosive to, to his very being, to his very soul, you know? Yeah. And, and yeah, like... the. As we watch, uh, you know, Kanshu and um, and and Mark interact with each other, it becomes this whole thing where Kanshu, yeah, as I mentioned earlier, Kanshu just ends up telling Mark that at the beginning of the series, or at the beginning of this series, when we found you, you were you were a battered and broken man. You had had a you had had a, a fight with your arch nemesis, which was Bushman, and this was a fight that just utterly broke you, you know? Because mm-hmm. in a moment of desperation, he, like, he butchers this guy, you know? Yeah. So they get into a fight, and, uh, you know, they're they're just uh, going, going to the limit between these two, and they fall from this really high high height, and... Mark Spector's legs or the Moon Knight's legs just end up being just smashed, you know? So he's mm-hmm. just kind of crawling. And uh, at this point, Bushman, he's just, he bites into him. He like literally just bites him in the chest, you know? <laughs> and he's just messing up Moon Knight. And at this point, Moon Knight, he he just doesn't have any options. He doesn't really have any other choice. And what he ends up doing is he takes one of his uh, moon-shaped, his crescent-shaped throwing stars, I guess, or whatever you call it. I I, I don't know if it's It's still a throwing star. star. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know if it's still considered a a throwing star, if it's a moon-shaped, but he takes it and he, like, cuts the dude's face off. Yeah. (laughs) You know? The funny thing is, is that not only does he cut Bushman's face off, but he he keeps that face. Yeah. And later later on, there's an issue where he's he's putting the face on his own face, yeah. and Marlene walks in on him in the bathroom yeah. while he's doing that. Well, I think in that moment where he does that to survive, that I'm pretty sure that's the moment that just breaks his mind (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know like a normal person wouldn't keep a normal person wouldn't keep the the skin the face skin of a guy that he just you know peeled off (laughs) (laughs) so yeah so uh what ends up so that's that's kind of his deep dark secret at the beginning of the series is that this is what's happened to him and where he's been in after and and what's kept him out of the public eye all these years but uh but yeah but kanshu is 
is in his life and he's he's taunting him and telling him that you know if if right now your legs are your body is broken and you're broke and nobody loves you but if you bring glory and honor to me i can restore all these things you know mm-hmm. and and uh you know there there are circumstances outside of his well i don't even know if they're really outside of his control or outside of conscious control but uh while this is all happening this this council is after moon knight they're they're the children of all of his of of a previous council that was uh that was basically trying to get moon knight uh, while this is all happening, they were trying to reestablish their base for power, and I don't know, I forget. I don't remember if they were trying to kill Moon Knight or if they were trying to recruit him. Do you remember? I thought they were trying to kill him, but now you've okay. made me second-guess myself. Okay. Okay, well... It's not too important. They were trying to get yeah. him. They were trying to get him, Exactly. So while all this is happening, you know, these, uh, this, 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 this shadow organization is trying to get him and, you know, at the height of it all, when, you know, when they're sending their, you know, their big gun after him, which is, uh, you know, the taskmaster, um, Moon Knight more or less acquiesces to Khonshu, you know, and he, he decides, I I will embody the avatar again and uh you know I'll bring glory to him and do what needs to be done and it's in that moment that he reemerges fully as the moon knight but mm-hmm. but the dark little uh thing the the dark little piece that gnawing piece at the back of it all is that he's he's kind of made a deal with the devil <laughs> You know, it's always a bad idea to make a deal with the devil. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. So the rest of this of Houston's run is about him reestablishing these relationships that he's lost in the in the years since he's been in hiding. So it's him reconnecting with Marlene, him connecting with uh, Frenchie. Uh, I think his new. Yeah, Crawley. I think his new pilot was a kid that used to work at the restaurant in the in the mm-hmm. Munch. Gina's Munch. Gina's son. Yeah. So you see all these characters make oh, their got, way. And don't forget his uh his butler and his oh. maid. Right, right, right. I I what Samuels was that his Samuels name? and Netta. I think yeah. Netta was yeah his maid. Yeah, so it's it's really about him. Crawley is the bum who he hangs out with. He's, I guess, is he like an informant? I guess because he's just down in the streets all the time. He just knows information that uh, the average person wouldn't pick up on. Right, right, right. Because, you know, that's what homeless people do. They traffic in information. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I mean, that's where I get most of my information. <laughs> Stock tips and the like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but um, 
the second arc following that is about uh, Moon Knight. He he ends up meeting uh, Midnight again, the 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 character that was introduced in Round Robin, you know, and and it really does feel like it's it's a it's an arc that's dedicated to reintroducing him to the Marvel universe as a whole because there are issues where he's just talking to Spider-Man or talking to Captain America, talking to the Punisher, you know, just it it really is just a welcome back to the Marvel universe. Um but while all that's happening, this former sidekick of him of his is re-emerging as well and trying to get revenge on him. Um Yeah, that's that's pretty much where the Houston run uh I mean, he does one one arc following that which goes over which reintroduces the Black Spectre character and yeah, that one I think was his plot and Mike Benson scripted it. Yeah, yeah. But I, I do want to point out uh, the this one issue of Houston's run, issue 13. Oh, yeah, yeah, was yeah. A, an extra-sized issue. And this was the, the standout issue of that entire volume of Moon Knight, I think. And this issue was drawn by Tom Coker, so it had by far the best art in the run. Yeah. Because if you look at Charlie Houston's run, he had... Uh, David Finch and Miko Suoyan drawing his his stories, and then the Mike Benson run had uh, Mark Texera. Yeah, but uh, no no disrespect towards Mark Texera, but I'm not a fan of David Finch, and he kind of established the style. And uh, Frank Darmada uh, did the colors for most of the Finch issues and I'm not really a fan of his coloring either because he, he tends to do everything all dark and muddy. It just, I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't please my eyes very much. Uh, so a lot of this run for me at least is hard to look at just cause I don't really like that over rendered veiny, super muscular style of drawing that David Finch specializes in. Yeah. He's, he, he really likes drawing action scenes and cool poses there's i'll admit there's some cool shots of moon knight in the rain standing on top of a gargoyle or something you know like clearly this was a guy who wanted to draw batman (laughs) (laughs) but there's just so much stuff that doesn't look good like a lot of scenes where where mark specter is not in costume and he's just um you know going through his daily grind of getting out of bed or whatever uh going to the to the restaurant where Frenchie works. Yeah. Like a lot of that stuff is just not interesting to look at. And honestly, the the way that he draws people, they everybody is always looking angry, no matter no matter what. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. There's just they're just so veiny and and like over muscled. It's it's really that 90s aesthetic. Yeah. This is you know 2006 2007. There's also yep. this like weird glossy sheen on everyone, you know, mm-hmm. like it almost feels like everyone's just constantly sweating. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. And like, you're right. The world is so covered in black that it almost feels like they just exist in this eternal void. 
Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> There's just so much, like, empty black space that surrounds them. It's, uh... Yeah. Like, I, I don't know if he's just lazy or if he's just not very imaginative enough, or if he's just not imaginative enough to, like, populate their world or fill the space with something, but it's, uh... It's not good. Yeah. Yeah. Miko Suoyan's art in this, like, after Finch leaves, I'm not a big fan of that either. It's a, I think it's a slight improvement, but I think his style is still kind of aping David Finch's over-muscled style. So yeah. by the time we get to issue 13, which is a standalone issue, seeing Tom Coker's art is a massive relief because this guy is not only very stylized, but he can tell a story really well. His mm-hmm. sense of graphic design is just what you want in a smart kind of superhero comic, you know, like you want somebody who who knows how to do pacing, you know, you want somebody who knows how to uh, do imaginative layouts that aren't confusing. Mm-hmm. It's just, yeah, it just looks so much better than everything else that you can't help but wish that Tom Coker had drawn all of the preceding issues. Definitely, definitely. But issue t- 13 stands out uh, not only for the art, but because of the story. This is the period of Marvel continuity when uh, Tony Stark and Iron or t- Tony Stark's forces have won the Civil War. So Tony Stark is now the director of S.H.I.E.L.D. and the Superhuman Registration Act is in effect. So Moon Knight has to register with the government in order to continue operating as a costumed vigilante. So the process for that is he has to go to a S.H.I.E.L.D. office and complete this psychological interview with with a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent, a psychologist. And we already des- Albert already described how crazy Moon Knight has been throughout this <laughs> entire series. So yeah. it was pretty obvious that he wasn't going to be able to pass the psychological exam. Mm-hmm. But what ends up happening is... He has uh he makes this ally in the series named the Profile, who's this guy who has the power to look at people and understand what makes them tick, like their deepest fears and darkest secrets and things like that, which is a pretty unique power set. So he enlists this guy's help to look at the Shield profiler who's gonna examine him and figures out, you know, what what this guy's issues are and during the interview he moon knight or mark specter just acts like you know a well-adjusted person but when it becomes clear that the psychologist is going to you know mark him unfit for for service mm-hmm. making it illegal for him to operate as moon knight it's it's pretty clever like the way that mark ends up beating this guy is not through violence or physical uh assault it's by pretending to fall into a trance and then making it sound like Khonshu himself is talking to this guy by revealing his darkest and deepest secrets (laughs) and like (laughs) he just goes on for like two pages talking to this guy and deconstructing this psychologist and at the end he says kneel slave and serve your lord and this guy (laughs) is so shaken he actually does it. 
Yeah. 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 I, I thought that was a super clever way for for them to resolve this obstacle yeah. for Moon Knight. Of course, later on it goes on to bite him in the butt. But yeah. Yeah. This yeah. issue was really well done. Yeah. It's it's definitely the high point of of uh the run. Um. Yeah. You're you're right. Like after. After that, we have the Benson stuff, and they do build it into, they build that element into the story moving forward with, um, you know, with the Black Spectre story, where again Moon Knight is in this position to take on um, his old adversary, and you know, in short, what what ends up happening is he's put in a position where he doesn't really have a choice. Um, so in the heat of battle uh, with the lives of, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of people on the line, he ends up having to kill uh, the black specter in front of everybody in front of the world. And mm-hmm. when he does this, you know, people are understandably horrified at this because one, the moon Knight is, a registered superhero he was you know he went through their vetting process and he was accepted and authorized by you know the people that they trusted to mm-hmm. make this decision so what went wrong what the hell happened there right mm-hmm. and and the scene that follows up with that psychiatrist is ends up with them uh with tony stark and you know his his officers going to confront this psychiatrist and you know the guy he looks out his window and he sees them coming up to his office and he's like i'll be out in a second and then when they open you know they don't hear from him (laughs) and when they open the door the dude's hung himself you know (laughs) i like how you just described this dark suicide and you're just chuckling (laughs) it's messed up man but you're right that was probably not an appropriate response (laughs) in retrospect but yeah this you know things start to spiral out of control and uh when um when Tony Stark fails to capture Moon Knight, uh, what ends up happening is uh, Norman Osborn and his Thunderbolts are are given the opportunity, and it becomes you know just another superhero throwdown with uh, between the Moon Knight and the Thunderbolts. Um, if I had to say this this second arc by Benson, uh, it's it's not some of my most like i i think the the arc following uh dark with black specter was was all right i think it it was something that had pretty decent dialogue and uh you know overall followed the same exploration of moon knight and and mark specter but yeah and the ideas that it touched on in terms of vengeance and right and uh violence like i thought that all of that stuff was pretty interesting in that story yeah but the 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 issues following that were less impressive to me um and i think there were just things there that had just huge gaps in logic (laughs) you know just stuff where 
yeah, I, I'm, I'm not going to go into that too too much. But, um, you know, so following that run, we have the Greg Hurwitz run where uh, it was Greg Hurwitz and Jerome Pena. And this was a run that I think tried to reestablish Moon Knight as a as a hero. I, I wouldn't say it ignored any of the stuff that happened in the previous issues. Because uh, at the end of the ben- of Benson's run, Moon Knight fakes his Moon Knight fakes his death and starts a new life, and I want to say it was Mexico or or somewhere south of yeah. Uh, I actually yeah. think that that last arc that he did uh, was probably my my least favorite yeah. out of his stories. Yeah, and like. In all honesty, I think it was it in some ways it's maybe a better comic than the two preceding arcs. But the thing is, is that I I don't think it was a very interesting Moon Knight comic. Like there wasn't. It felt like Mike Benson wanted to do a crime story set in Mexico, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but he just threw Moon Knight in there for the heck of it and yeah. Punisher's in there. There's also this uh, killer that dresses up in this uh, kind of monster-looking costume that doesn't yeah. really add anything to the story. Yeah. So it it just kind of feels a little bit uh, overstuffed for what it is, mm-hmm. and also mm-hmm. ultimately a little pointless with the, the different characters that were. Yeah. Guesting like they didn't like the Punisher didn't really serve any purpose. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like what are the odds that they would cross paths while they were yeah. both visiting Mexico? Well, here's the thing. I I thought it was something that had some promise initially because they teased at uh, they introduced the idea that if Moon Knight chose to renounce Konshu because at 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 that point in in his relationship with Konshu, he he he's telling Konshu that I'm I'm your avatar, but I'm all you have. There's no one else for you to go to. And Konshu mentions that there are actually quite a few other alternatives that he could choose. And 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 then we see the Punisher show up, and what we you know. For those of you who follow comics, if you know the Punisher, he, that guy is just pure vengeance. He he does not burden himself with any of the moralism, or uh, with any of the moral questions whatsoever. You know, so mm-hmm. the idea that this, to that that there would be this, uh, I guess like foil to Moon Knight that was introduced. I I remember at the time thinking, oh, this could be interesting, you know? Like what 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 does it have to say again, what does this have to say about vengeance through this prism between Moon Knight and the Punisher? And what ends up happening is that the Punisher is just kind of a wasted character. He it's like you said, he 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 really didn't need to be in that story at all, you know? Yeah, didn't um, contribute anything. Yeah. So this last story arc was really just about Moon Knight starting a new life in another country while he hides out from, you know, the government that's after him. 
The thing and, is, is I think if they had removed all of the Marvel kind of elements to it, like if they didn't have Moon Knight as the main character, get rid of the Punisher, I felt like the story would have been pretty interesting on its own, like its own standalone kind of thing. Like it was well written, the pacing was fun, the those two luchador brothers were pretty entertaining. Like the dialogue was funny, man. Yeah. And and I think it it could have been a decent crime comic. It's just that it wasn't really a Moon Knight comic to me, you know? Like it does yeah. it didn't hit any of the themes or ideas that we've been discussing that we associate with him. Yeah. It almost felt like a like a grindhouse mm-hmm. film or something that they were that he was trying to write and I don't know. May I, even as, even for a grindhouse, uh, you know, tribute or whatever, it just didn't really. I don't know. It just felt flat, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, and in the Hurwitz, the Hurwitz run just follows it up by reintroducing the Moon Knight to um, to his stomping grounds, which is New York, and it's a story where. I think they try to clear the slate a little bit because the last time we see Moon Knight, um, you know, he's people are afraid of him, and but for whatever reason, well, not whatever reason, but throughout this uh, Hurwitz's run, I, I felt like we were constantly seeing people who were <laughs> civilians who were just in, injected into the scene just so they could say. Hey, maybe he's not crazy after all, you know, just so that he could be a superhero again and mm-hmm. and be more on that side of things. But but the thing that was interesting about it was even though his reputation was restored or yeah, restored, quote unquote restored, um Hurwitz doesn't do away with the uh he doesn't do away completely with the idea that Mark Spector is insane because Mark Spector is still in communications with Khonshu, even yeah. though he's trying to restore his image as a superhero, you know? Mm-hmm. So we continue to see that thread uh, throughout Moon Knight's existence in comics moving forward. Mm-hmm. Um Following that, though, we get the Alex Maleev and Brian Michael Bendis run, and and I don't think I don't remember if we if I see Khonshu in that, but but what but the interesting thing that Bendis does do is that he shows. Mark Spector's fractured psyche. He he shows he it in really hard way. into the dissociative identity disorder. Yeah, yeah. So what he leans up- so hard into it that instead of having Stephen Grant and Jake Lockley as his personalities, Moon Knight thinks he's Wolverine, Captain America, yeah. Yeah, and exactly. uh, who is it? Spider Man. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a bizarre concept. Those are the voices in his head. Yeah. <laughs> and and even even more so than that, he uh he begins to embody various aspects of their like 
costumes into his own costume. So he has like Wolverine claws and he has web shooters and he has like Captain America's energy shield. <laughs> um, I remember I had fun reading that series. Echo was in it too. Yeah, yeah. Um so it's 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 a little light on on uh on the commentary on vengeance, but the one area where I do think that it was true to some of the elements that we discussed on in what makes you know a proper Moon Knight story is we do see him establish this relationship with Echo. It's a thing where even when he makes these connections, how how things end up, they inevitably end up the way that you expect them to end up, you know? Like people end up getting hurt and that's just kind of who Mark Spector is. Mm-hmm. You know, he's sorry for it, but at the end of the day, that's they're still hurt. <laughs> yeah, that they're still still hurt and that's his curse, I guess, you know? Mhm. Yeah, following that run, yeah, we're we're kind of in a golden age for Moon Knight at this point cuz he ends up being on the Secret Avengers for a little bit and That might have actually been before the Bendis Maleve run. I I think no, you're right. It is I before. I can't remember. You're right. Yeah. You're right. Because Greg Horowitz's run ends with him joining the Secret Avengers. It's issue ten, and mm-hmm. his issue ten it ends with, it's it's an entire issue about him joining the Avengers. But that was actually a significant moment for Moon Knight too. I mean, he had yeah he had been part of the West Coast Avengers back in the eighties. Uh huh. When you know they weren't really doing a whole lot with him, but him joining the secret Avengers in the two thousands was another thing that kind of upped his profile a bit uh-huh. because then uh-huh. you would see him in different crossovers. Like I remember seeing him in things like Avengers versus X-Men. So n- now he's at least in the background of these events in the tie in issues doing stuff. But the other thing that uh, stands out is when Warren Ellis was writing Secret Avengers, right. he he kind of helped uh, point the way forward for the character in a sense. Like he 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 would go on to eventually write his own six issue story of in a Moonlight Moon Knight series, but uh, it it really does follow up on what he did in Secret Avengers because I think. I think he was able to capture this idea of Moon Knight being this violent, kind of unpredictable, and a little bit of a volatile He's character. He's kind of loose cannon of the team. Yeah, yeah. Which I think would be an interesting conversation to have in terms of, like, why would Captain America want this guy on the team? <laughs> but, hey, Captain America invited Wolverine on the team. So... It's, it's. I guess it's one of those situations where, even though Captain America has his his morals and his certain ways of doing superheroic stuff, at times he's okay with having another guy who's a loose cannon, <laughs> another guy who will, you know, use his claws to sanction somebody <laughs> so that Cap yeah. can keep his hands clean. It's kind of weird if you think about that, right? It's kind of makes things unravel a bit yeah it well 
again, I, th- I think if you don't he- hold this view of Captain America as someone who... Uh, Who's pragmatic? Somebody who killed Nazis in World War II? Exactly. If you if you if you don't view him as someone who is above reproach, if you just view him as if you take the 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 view of him as a soldier and who is someone who's pragmatic, then you can tell yourself that okay, he's he understands as a tactician the value of someone like Moon Knight. Okay, I I guess I can make that work. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but following uh the uh the Bendis Malieve run, we yeah, we, we end up getting the Warren Ellis Declan Shelby run. Which mm-hmm. is I think it's hands down the the upper tier, if not the best Moon Knight story that we've seen uh mm-hmm. up to this point, you know? It's there. There's six issues. They're not really connected. Um, they're all I, these done in one stories that it, it's it's like a good mix of of comics that do a bit of formal experimentation, uh-huh. but also tell really compact yet meaningful and exciting stories about yeah. Moon Knight. Uh-huh. But also have something interesting to say about his psychology, or again the pet themes that we associate with the character. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, there, it, there's a couple of really, there's a lot of really interesting ideas that are just floating around in there. You know, like there's that one issue where <laughs> uh, he goes to this house and. You know, there's there's something weird going on there. Uh, he's 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 invited over by this doctor who 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 says that there's weird pheno- there's a weird phenomena occurring where everybody is having the same dream and they just can't understand what the cause of it is. Moon Knight goes in there and he locks himself up and he like just goes to sleep and. We as the reader, we're not really sure what's going on, but he goes on this metaphysical journey, and then um, over the course of it, he comes to the realization. He wakes up, he goes outside, and he starts beating on the guy that uh, invited him over to it to to the place in the first place, and uh, he brings him in. And spoilers for this part, but he he rips the floorboards out and he reveals that there's this. Got, there's a corpse there, and this corpse was like one of the early individuals that they had experimented on, and these mushroom spores had taken root in his brain, and mushroom spores were released into the air, and they had infected everyone who continued to to be within the the perimeter, uh, the, within the proximity of it, and what was going on was <laughs> this guy had been murdered. And uh, he was dead, but his the the mushroom spores were still communicating his I guess his pleas for help. Yeah. To 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 the people that were absorbing these mushroom spores. How crazy is that? It's pretty <laughs> psychedelic and dark. Yeah, yeah. The artwork um, is incredible here. 
in in all of these issues. Declan Shelby's artwork is crazy good. I think yeah, it's it's one of the most influential Moon Knights that we've seen, and certainly yeah. I think probably uh, impacted the the upcoming Disney Plus series. If you look at the style of it, like f- first of all, we also get a new personality emerging in in these comics where Moon Knight is going by Mr. Knight when he deals with the police. So when yeah. he's like investigating crimes and, and going to crime scenes and doing normal kind of crime fighting, he's dressed in a suit, but he still wears a, a mask on his head with his logo. It's The thing is, is that the suit is all white. It's pure yeah. white. And this is something that I think only works in comics because in the in the trailer for the TV series we we see this suit this white suit that he's wearing but you know it just looks like a suit that you would see in in on Halloween or something or you know it's realistic like a normal suit but it's yeah. not it's not like super stark out of place compared to everything else whereas when you read yeah. the comic because he's super lit <laughs> yeah yeah they yeah. they they made him pure white by not putting any shades of of color on him, you know? So, like, when he's standing next to anything, he stands out. He doesn't look like he inhabits the same world as his surroundings. Uh, Jordi Belair does the colors on this one. And the the way that the world is colored is so, so rich and vibrant. But anytime you see Moon Knight wearing any of his costumes, the white just stands out like it's not even white like other characters white shirts or white clothes when you look at the other characters in this comic and they're wearing white there's always like little uh gradients to them and there's there's like shadow on them but anytime moon knight is wearing white it's just pure white yeah yeah the the other issue that i wanted to mention was i believe issue two in his run I, I thought that was a really interesting issue. Like, I, I'd have to think about it some more um, about Warren Ellis' run as a whole, but I do think that the concept of vengeance or, like, just the idea of not being able to let things go mm-hmm. and just the effect that it has on people is something that he covers a little bit in... Uh, in in the six issues that he wrote and issue two is like a pretty good example of that. Mm -hmm. It's, it's a series for the first like portion of the comic. It's a series of eight panel grids and each panel shows a different person, uh, over the course of their day, uh, just in their life. But as you turn the page, as you're uh, turning the page, uh, you'll see, you see one of the, uh, one of the individuals getting shot on every page and then that panel just completely disappearing into a white white void right mm-hmm. and so oh so i, I want to say like the first half of the the, the comic, first eight pages or okay the first eight pages of the comic is just you watching as each of these individuals die and you don't you really don't know what is going on uh 
And it isn't until the end that you realize uh, that they reveal to you that these eight individuals were part of a uh, – I don't even know what it was. It was They're part of an organization that – A special uh, ops group? Uh, okay, a special ops group yeah. whose, whose primary mission was to – well, basically just enact violence throughout the world, you know. Um, but what what they ended up doing was they all decided to quit their jobs and or they all decided to quit the special ops group and move on to, you know, working in banks and to become rich, you know. Mm-hmm. And the the individual that they were handling the the. Yeah, the the soldier that they were in charge of handling was just left drifting out in the wind and he ends up feeling all this resentment towards them because they all went off to, you know, amass riches whereas he was just kind of forgotten and mm-hmm. and uh just left twisting in the wind and yeah, it's 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 a me it's him deciding that uh now, because all he knows is how to use a gun, that he, that his way of seeking revenge is, is to do what he knows best. He's just going to kill them all, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because the, the issue ends with him um, talking with Moon Knight and he goes, they left me out there. They dissolved the company left me out there to die in the field and went and got new jobs on Wall Street. They paid me, used me to change the course of countries and history, and now they help banks. It may not have been a good life, but it was my life. They took it, so I take theirs. And and then uh, this elevator opens, and you see this guy there, uh, and he's got a gun out, and he just straight up shoots this dude in the head. And then he, he goes into the, this little uh, speech where he goes, there were nine of us in the special operations group. I had a last minute late meeting. Didn't uh, I had a last minute late meeting. Didn't leave work on time. And then he goes, we left the global security field and retired to large financial houses to make money. He was a tool, a gun with the numbers filed off, dropped in a street in Beirut or Mogadishu or Tripoli. Guns aren't supposed to come back and punish their owners. I suppose his gamble was just what we taught what we taught him. Guns are power. The distant projection of death is power. That's why we all changed careers. We learned d- differently. The banks always win. It's uh it's a pretty, uh, yeah, like, I don't really know what to think of that ending, but it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's... It's one of those gut punches that makes you want to revisit the entire issue to take it all in again. It does, now, yeah. Like, it's one of those endings where you get there, and it kind of recontextualizes everything you've just read. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, like, every single issue... of of this of these six issues is extremely well done and just a masterclass in storytelling yeah yeah it's it's a solid 
uh, a Moon Knight story. And, you know, it's the great thing about it is, like you said, you don't really need to know anything about them uh, or it, each, each issue is pretty self-contained and you can just enjoy it without having to have all this extra information, you know? It's it it pretty much says everything it needs to say. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. I guess the only thing that would hinder you from reading these is well, just knowing about Warren Ellis. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean it it's I guess it's just one of those things where uh even though he was one of my favorite writers, um I still enjoy a lot of his comics. Like just the allegations of sexual misconduct which he's admitted to like that that definitely taints him yeah and i would understand if you said i don't want to read this because of who wrote it you know yeah but like you know on the other hand declan shelby didn't do anything wrong and he's a great artist who tells the stories really effectively so you know i'd like if you don't want to read this i don't judge and if you do read it i don't judge for that either you know yeah that makes sense um yeah agreed agreed like it it stings that he's a guy who has all this great talent but at the end of the day he 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 treated women pretty badly you know and Mm-hmm. You know, maybe he didn't outright go out there and like physically harm them, but he took advantage of them. He took it, yeah, used, exactly. Used his power and standing yeah. in the industry to to take advantage of either women who might have been fans of his work or women yeah. who are trying to get into the industry. Yeah, yeah. It's unfortunate. It's unfortunate. But. You know, while we're on that note, uh, <laughs> uh, this is rough, but um, the 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 run that followed it was a run by Brian Wood and Greg Smallwood. It's also a good run, but unfortunately, it's also a run where the writer on on it was also accused of <laughs> sexual harassment. <laughs> yeah. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't think we knew about these allegations until after they had made these comics. Yeah. yeah. So, like, at the, at the time, you know, we were enjoying them just because... They were good. Yeah, exactly. And then the last couple of years, we learned all this stuff about these these people. And, uh, yeah, it's... It's, it's, it's a... Yeah. It's one of those things where I almost wish I was ignorant, but when I think about it, no, I I need to know the truth, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so... The the Wood and Smallwood stuff kind of follows the pattern that Ellis and Shelby established, where it's kind of occasionally experimental stories, mostly done in ones from what I remember... And yeah, I mean Greg Smallwood's art is excellent. Um 
Actually, there... There was an overarching story, right? There was an overarching story in it. And uh, it's basic. It started off with a plot, uh, uh, like a terrorist plot, uh, but it unraveled into something larger. Where um, someone basically, uh, so there was. It became a story about how there was a an individual from uh, a war-torn country who was coming to the United Nations. Uh, they were, I forget what they were there to do. I want to say that they were going to some sign some sort of accords or something like that. And, you know, it was supposed to be a big deal because uh, this country had exited, you know, a decade of turmoil and war. And uh, the, the general that ruled the country now was going to be hailed as a hero for bringing peace to the country right but mm-hmm. uh, but there are people still out there people who suffered at the hands of this general who feel like who felt like he should pay for his crimes you know he shouldn't be awarded a seat at the table uh, you know at, at at the united nations for for the things that he's done right uh, so that's kind of the crux of the story is Moon Knight dealing with this deep seated sense of, again, vengeance, because, you know, this, this general has brought peace to the country, but the individuals that want him, uh, assassinated or who want the truth to be brought to light, it becomes a question of, is vengeance really worth it if what it ends up costing you is, you know the peace and stability that has been born from it from the very uh, has been born in the in in the time since everything has happened right like yeah. so what happens when you know uh years down the line after the crimes have been committed and there's stability but you know you still thirst for your satisfaction what happens it it really it's a story that really makes you consider it makes you weigh the cost of these things you know yeah yeah i I thought it was a really good story too like it's i don't know how much of uh the ellis stories really covered the idea of revenge but uh the brian wood moon knight does do quite a bit of work on that topic Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah following that there was a run by Cullen Bunn and uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't really have much to say on it. I mean, one, I I didn't make I I wasn't able to read it in time, so there's that. But quite frankly, Cullen Bunn isn't someone that I would <laughs> really shower with praise. So, <laughs> um, maybe it's not. It's not such a tragedy that I wasn't able to read those comics. I remember the art by Ron Akins was pretty good. This was actually a group of issues that I had found in a quarter bin uh-huh. some time ago, a couple years ago. And I ended up reading those issues pretty early on in the pandemic. Like probably I read it in March or April of, of uh, 2020. And I don't remember them very well, 
other than I th- I think Moon Knight might have fought some werewolves, I want to say, which isn't ever anything that interests me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I will say that from what I recall, I, and, and again, this is from someone who's no fan of Cullen Bunn's comics, but I, I do think that these comics weren't totally horrible or anything. Like, they were... <laughs> they were they they reminded me of comic books uh as opposed to trash okay okay <laughs> <laughs> put that on uh you know put that on a a, a book blurb yeah totally Colin Bun, this book isn't trash <laughs> <laughs> this comic book feels just like a comic yeah yeah <laughs> yeah um, there were a couple of runs that uh, followed that. I there was uh, Jeff Lemire and Greg Smallwood again, uh, and Jeff Lemire is someone that we've talked about on this podcast quite a bit. So I'm I'm curious to see what he did with the character and uh, how how he explores those ideas. Um, you know, maybe when the series is over, I'll, I'll have read it by then and we can discuss that a little more then but you know uh you know Jeff Lemire is good so I I have my I have faith that he's going to be able to at the very do, least that'll be interesting yeah I I think he'll be able to do a, a decent Moon Knight story yeah you found all of those issues in the quarter bins I sure did I very sure nice. did very nice yep. and then um was there, that before or after the Max Bemis run that is before, so Max oh, Bemis okay. comes after that. What, what? I I don't I forget. Max Bemis wrote that one comic that you wrote uh, that you read, right? The the one about America, like I want to say it was called Empire at War or something like that. Empire I, of Evil. Oh yeah, Evil Empire. Evil, evil Empire, Empire, I think, is what it was called. Yeah. You put me on the spot, man. <laughs> <laughs> I I had faith that you would get it and. You did. So we good. We good there. Um, the one thing that I do remember about this, about Max Bemis was, I want to say, okay, I, I might be wrong on this. You know, if I am, I'll, I'll correct it at a later time. Mm-hmm. But I want to say that he got into it with uh, some people online. Um, they might have been comic skaters, but I'm not 100% sure. Max Bemis did? Yeah. Because I remember there was like some sort of controversy that occurred while he was writing the comic and he ended up, he might have ended up even leaving uh, earlier uh, before before the book was supposed to, to end. Was it because of something he had written in Moon Knight that made the comic skaters mad? I think he said something about them and, you know, they just turned on him. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, I see. Let me uh, let me look this up. Other than that, currently, I want to say there was a brief period of time where in, in recent history where Moon Knight was kind of missing for a while, but he's back now, and he's being written by Jed McLame. <laughs> so that's not good. <laughs> Got to get all personal by making fun of his name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
There was an uh, is an arc of Jason Aaron's Avengers recently that featured Moon Knight pretty heavily. I borrowed it. I've been reading that uh, run from the library, so I borrowed it. I don't know, maybe a year ago or a little bit less than a year ago. But there was a story that Jason Aaron wrote in Avengers called The Age of Khonshu. I don't really know how well I would say it fits in with Moon Knight and the mythos and things and all that we've been talking about. But the premise of The Age of Khonshu was that Khonshu is basically made manifest in this story. Like, I think part of the charm of some of the other stories like the like the Houston run or even the Ellis run was that Khonshu was Moon Knight's god that basically only he saw. So there was this potential that Khonshu was real and Moon Knight was the only one that he talked to or Moon Knight was just a crazy guy who imagined that a god was talking to him. <laughs> right? But yeah. uh, this this Avengers story basically makes it so that Khonshu is real and Khonshu wants to I think it was basically to protect the planet from Mephisto and the way that Khonshu wanted to go about this was he made Moon Knight uh, basically attack the other Avengers and capture their powers so it was like if Moon Knight became Mega Man and he could defeat an enemy and absorb their power. <laughs> so you had a story where Moon Knight beat up Iron Fist and he got the Iron Fist. He beats up Ghost Rider and gets Hellfire. <laughs> uh, that sounds fun. <laughs> it's pretty fun. Like, yeah. I don't know if I can take it seriously, but just as pure fun, it's pretty fun. Yeah. I think yeah. I think he even uh, beat up Thor and took the hammer. I I don't remember <laughs> if he could lift it or something, but it it feels like that that would be the thing that he would take from Thor. Yeah. Um, and I think something with the Phoenix ended up happening that le that led into the the next uh, story that Aaron was doing in Avengers with the Phoenix Force. Uh, I, yeah, I don't remember the details of it too clearly, but that was a a story that makes it so that Conchu is this like active force uh, or active entity doing things within the Marvel universe that other people could see. Cause I think at the very end of it, uh, the Asgardians actually capture Khonshu for what he yeah. tried to do. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I mean, for a book like the Avengers, that's, that's a concept that works, but yeah, when you, I, yeah, I, I think the idea that that Khonshu is just kind of this ambiguous being where you're not really sure whether Moon Knight is really talking to a god or or crazy is, uh, I don't know. I think that's my personal preferred take on, on their relationship. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, that's just the way comics are sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. You just kind of yeah. take what you enjoy from different writers and understand that different creators have different interpretations of the character. And sometimes their interpretations can click with you. Sometimes they don't click with you. And, yeah. you know, that's okay. 
sometimes even the ones that don't click with you can still be enjoyed on some level. Yeah. Like this Absolutely. Age of Conchu story. I still enjoyed it. I don't I don't know if that's well, that's definitely not my preferred Moon Knight, but yeah. I'm not gonna go on Twitter and be like, hey Jason Aaron, how could you do this to Moon Knight? You know? Yeah. Like that's, <laughs> yeah. I don't feel that strongly about it. Yeah. Um yeah. Hey, just to clarify, I, I am looking up Max Bemis here and mm-hmm. um so okay, so there's a couple of things. Uh it said uh it's in this article on Bleeding Cool, but he says he has wrapped up his Moon Knight run and involved in cleaning up his life after suffering an emotional breakdown. So I guess he, he did end his run on time, but he just decided not to do any more you know. Whether he decided not to do any more Marvel work or whether he wasn't offered any, like, that's that's up in the air. But suffice it to say, he's just not doing any more comics for Marvel for the time being. And then it says here, he told me how the Marvel comic book Moon Knight became his therapy, his therapy in comic book form, though he believed Marvel pushed back on that. He knows that he pissed off some readers, uh, some readers off with his work. Um, mental illness is a lot to put out on an established superhero and he engaged in a lot of research into Moon Knight's nature, looking at the effects and influence of everything from childhood trauma and music into the condition and he thinks he may have exhausted Marvel Comics with it all so, uh, leaving Moon Knight was a mutual decision and he was exhausted too, so uh, he does however stand by his work and is proud of the final issue out this week, so I mean, it, it seems like there was something going on there but i'm not entirely sure what yeah yeah that's the first i've heard of it yeah i i just remember seeing something going on but i i I don't remember fully what all the details were but yeah anyways any final thoughts about moon knight or even anything you'd want to say about the upcoming tv show uh i do think the tv show has captured the essence of the idea of uh, Moon Knight as someone who's unhinged. Uh, we do see that, excuse me, from the scenes that they have presented in the trailer. Um, I don't know what degree it's going to go, to what degree they're going to show that, but uh, mm-hmm. I'm, it's, it's piqued my curiosity enough, and uh, at least they're adhering to that in, in Moon Knight. Just from what I've seen from the trailer, I can honestly say I can't really tell too much about what's going on, except that Mark Spector just looks kind of, you know, just uh, rough around the edges, uh, you know. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so that's that's the main thing I got from it. How about you? Uh, I guess if I'm being honest, I'm not I wasn't too impressed with what I saw just uh-huh. from a visual standpoint. The way that Moon Knight looks didn't really grab me uh-huh. it's it maybe it, partly it's because it's too hard to top what we see in the comics yeah i mean i'll still give it a watch for sure and try to watch it with an open mind I, i'm still kind of expecting it to be a pretty sanitized version of moon knight I yeah like i i do hope that they're able to spend time dwelling on ruminations about violence and vengeance if it ends up being something that focuses too heavily on the different personalities, I don't know how into that I would be. Uh-huh. Uh, that's pro- I'm probably less interested in that than 
the thematic ideas of who he is and and why he does what he does. Uh huh. But yeah, we'll we'll see, man. Like, I'm sure uh, we'll do an autopsy of the show whenever we get a chance to. Yeah, yeah. And uh, by then I'll have hopefully caught up on all my Moon Knight comics so I can talk about it more succinctly. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, do you have anything else you want to add? Not too much other than this was another long episode. Mm-hmm. Is this one of, is this our longest episode? But if it is, it's probably just a testament to how much love that you have for the character. <laughs> right. Right. Well, I mean, there's certainly a lot of material that we there that there was to cover. So it's just a tsunami of information of of stories to discuss. Yeah. Well, the moon affects the tides, doesn't it? <laughs> what are you getting at, man? I don't know, man. I was just trying to make a play on words regarding the moon. <laughs> We're nearing like four hours or something, so my wit may not be as sharp as it was in the beginning. I'm just mm-hmm. grasping at straws now. Yeah. Same here. Same here. We're like boxers towards the end of a match. We've just been punching each other in the head repeatedly for the past three hours. So we're just on fumes at this point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, next week, I don't think we'll have an episode. We're going to take a break because Albert's going to be at WonderCon. Yep. In Anaheim. Yep. So if you're there, seek him out. Just walk in on the convention floor and scream albert face me <laughs> coward where are you oh, i'm I sure he'll you, definitely hear you uh, what i want is i want you to take a a canister of gasoline and pour out the contents into the shape of my name and set it on fire i'd like to see that too well if you uh if you finish uh, if you've listened to us up to this point don't forget to, you know, rate us on uh, whatever platform you're listening to us on. And, uh, you know, make sure you give us the highest rating possible. Give us yeah. five stars. Even if you listen to us and you think, man, these clowns only deserve two stars at best. Just give us five stars anyway. And then hit us exactly. up on our social media to tell us why we suck and only actually deserve two stars. But as come long on, as you give man. us five, it's all good. Yeah. Come on. What's it going to cost you to give us five? Nothing. It costs nothing. <laughs> Come on. Come on. Come on. Thanks for listening, everybody. We will be in touch with our next episode in two weeks. Bye, guys. Peace.